All right, welcome to the Save the Universe podcast number 40. Bird's gone again, but this time instead of a gravestone of bird in the corner, we now have Colonel RPG again. Yep, it's your favorite resident Portuguese ex-archaeological role-playing aficionado let's player with beard. Did I say the beard part? Did we talk about that before? No, I don't uh, think we have. Did we ever talk about you being, like, what, uh, you said ex-archaeological? Um, kind of, yeah. I, I have a major degree on, on archaeology. I don't know if we ever um, discussed that last time. So Ber- both you and Keith got sick of the earth and ground-based things, and you <laughs> yes. decided to make your living as video game people. Yes. Instead of dig- digging up the history of the world, we're digging up the history of fake <laughs> worlds that somebody else wrote. It's just as important. And our only I- reward is that. plot holes. <laughs> <laughs> hey now yeah you keep more than until the world holes. crumbles and then the actual logic falls apart and you've broken the dimensions with your brain <laughs> it's 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 all relative one of the things that you learn in archaeology is just to see things that are not, are not are not there and so you learn to think about a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense at first and then never makes any sense so it's the same thing with video games really when you look at a plot and doesn't don't make sense of it. It's just all relative. Archaeology is like fan theories in real life. Yeah, I, I I very much stand by that. Actually, I think I made a video about deconstructing game worlds in ways that are not immediately obvious. I th- that's one of the reasons I really enjoy the Dark Souls world. I'm, I'm playing through it actually on 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 stream, uh, and I'm having a lot of a lot of fun with that. I thought I thought we had talked about that though. I don't remember. It's been long enough that it's hard to... (laughs) Enough time has passed. It's been like 20 episodes, and we don't even record every week consistently. So that would be... Yeah, unfortunately. Like six months, probably. I do enjoy your uh, your podcast, and thank you for having me back. Thank you very much. I try to to get somebody in whenever we're missing someone, but... uh, I don't always know until we're already starting. It's impossible to plan. (laughs) Yeah, our... Our our usual schedule for this is Saturday rolls around and either we are totally silent up until like maybe an hour before podcast time, yeah, or somebody will be like, uh, "Can't hear, uh, can't be here today," or yeah, even think, worse, last, is, last week's podcast was like we're getting we're setting up for the podcast and Bird's like, "Oh yeah, I'm at the vet by the way." I'm like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> I guess we'll just I think, start now." <laughs> I think we were we were already running late and then we got the I'm at the vet. <laughs> thing it's like oh, oh okay yeah well yeah but is is bird catcher still uh still on call this week uh no his on call has ended he's done with that except for it coincided with an extremely inconveniently sick rabbit uh oh. and so he's been very focused on keeping that thing alive and going strong and so on and so forth yeah because those like, rabbits die really easy that too like, yeah. if, like if this goes on Colonel's uh, channel and stuff like that. So the other person that's on this podcast usually, which was on the other two episodes Colonel was in, uh, he works at Amazon, and they have a thing where they go on call where basically there's a certain percentage of the workforce that's always that's on call and it rotates each week or so. And basically that means if anything goes wrong that requires additional attention, those people get to come in. And it's been miserable for him kind of i think i don't know it's just two weeks out of a year yeah i mean <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, not, well, I'm not making light of it though he, oh, he yeah. was getting paged so much at like inhumane times that like yeah. his boss is just like 
You just get a paid day off. It's not even counting as vacation or sick day. I'm just giving you the day off. <laughs> yeah, uh, but fully. apparently it was so... Apparently this time around it was so unusually bad that, yeah, like he got like special treatment as a result of like, we need to like apologize for this. Yeah. Such is the life. Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm I, always on call, aren't I? I, I I'm a bit jealous. I, I love like a, a day where my boss just shows up and it's like, you know what? No, no, just <laughs> your boss. You're good. The we're internet paying you gives you a day yeah, off. I know. I know. <laughs> Of course, I, we're not the same thing at all because we don't have to no. ever do stuff in the middle of the night. Uh, but d- definitely, like, uh, was it everyone's well, getting they, to get back together for Factorio right now? I'm, I'm slightly jealous because I'm like, I don't have weekends. Yeah. I don't have now, on and off time as much. My brother went to Alaska with my dad, and I'm like, someday I'd like to go on vacation. Someday. <laughs> they're, like, there for two weeks, and I'm just like, I'm here playing video games Except for, of course, you know, during that exact period, Mario Rabbids came out and, you know, Divinity was rolling up. And there was just too many new things oh, yeah. coming out anyway. And I'm like, I could go on vacation, but one, that would screw me over. And two, I'd miss out on some good shit uh, by doing so. So I'm like, I'm just like homebody by, well, not choice, but occupation. I've gone on my handful of family trips over the last few, over the last few couple of years and stuff, and I'll be gone for like four days, but like, I'm like, you need to tell me like three months in advance, please. <laughs> like, I need to know so I can plan for this stuff because I need the schedule, I need my, like, my channel to just not, not just disappear whenever I leave my house. Yeah, Shell's parents had contacted me in August being like, hey, well, I guess more Shell, but, or like, hey, uh, Wander's birthday is coming up. You want to Go to Colorado for like a week, and I'm like, "What? This is like twenty day notice." I no. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I um I always try to have a, a little bit of pre recorded stuff so I can just play around with the with the episodes and all that. Today, for example, I just had the whole day off because I uh, um a friend of my good very good friend of mine had a a full day bachelor's party i think it was but it wasn't really a bachelor's party it was just a party i guess because there were no strippers so i guess not bachelor's party but yeah it doesn't count anyway so i didn't record anything today still six episodes five anyway yeah the last supposed bachelor's party i was at was just a factorial land the night before a wedding (laughs) yeah that makes um, more sense at least so you're actually you're actually like in the hot box right now where uh you're dealing with what I had to deal with uh, a couple years ago, which is that I was working a full-time job while putting out like this, while maintaining this like several videos per day schedule. And it, boy, oh boy, yeah, you just stop having time. It just yes. goes away. <laughs> it, yeah, <laughs> there's nothing else. I've been, uh, I've been trying, basically everything is scheduled. Everything is planned and I just do nothing else apart from working Video games, which is awesome because I love them. Uh, work not so much, but I guess video games. Oh, yeah. It also probably helps had... if you don't have too much of a social life. I don't I know. I actually had the weird I experience. Really I had the weird experience where when I started doing this full-time, I had a comparable output, but then would still be like, where? how am I running out of time? Like, somehow I wasn't out actually keeping up with what I was trying to put out. And I would mm. realize eventually that it was like, the reason was that like... uh Basically, once you're not constantly under the gun, it's so much easier to lose time constantly. Like, working yep. from home is actually, like, hard to really self-discipline yeah. sometimes. Whereas, 
uh, when I was like, I desperately want to keep my channel running while also working my job. Like that would be like, I would come home and eat and then just start recording. And you had you, it would be like when you uh, had a final tomorrow in school and stuff like that. It's just like, it has to get done. So it's getting done. But like the moment I have more leeway, I'm like my, uh, my ability to just waste time will just find <laughs> its way in. Yeah, like I, I definitely, sorry. There wasn't much more to say. It was just that like recently I, managed to get ahead again finally and i'm like i'm actually sort of being more consistent finally but there was a chunk of time where like i'm like i'm only to have i got down to six videos per day how am i behind <laughs> i don't understand that's uh i definitely feel that i've actually been thinking about about that recently because um <clears throat> there were a few days where i i was out of work i think it was actually my last week of vacation um where I had like a well week where I didn't work and I had to catch up with the recordings and I had a pretty reasonable plan of just recording three more episodes per day than I usually do, and somehow I didn't manage it, and somehow I still was lagging behind even though I didn't have to work. So in a weird way, it's almost as if, you know, yeah, it, it's a lot of work to have a full time job and YouTube, but at the same time, I don't know how much time I would gain from not working. Not that I wouldn't want to just say it also kind of points to like a certain level of like it almost might be dangerous to always be doing work all the time because the moment you have a little bit of leeway you take it like you're like oh my god an hour of not working yes definitely (laughs) like the the way that your your mind compensates the moment you have more time to work with might point to bad things about the day schedule where you're always 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 working oh yeah i I think there's also the other aspect where i mean listening the recording side of things streaming might be different but you can't just do let's plays all day like for more than a certain number of hours you need a little bit of rest so oh yeah yeah it's and i think working if because it's not let's playing it also helps you rest on that so I, like to the point where I get home after a day's work and I'm energized. I'm I'm happy to play and I'm and I go on to play four or five episodes. Um, so I think in a weird way it's like resting all day and just doing let's plays at night. Yeah, you're kind of changing. It's a it's not the same thing as working a day job because it, yeah. you you're using different parts of yourself in weird ways, and that actually comes up with uh, when I mix videos with Wander and Bird and Andrew and stuff like that. Is that like I will there's one type of commentary that is solo commentary and then a totally different thing that happens when you record with somebody else and weirdly enough you can like and wander talks about this frequently because he he'll (laughs) like he sometimes he'll talk about needing co-op basically is that because like you'll get drained by like three hours or something of recording like solo rpgs or roguelikes or whatever and then it you you can just switch gears over to like i'm gonna play with bird and keith now and this is just a different part of me and suddenly you can just keep going when you actually seemed tired before is like yeah when i do extra live streams you know the 24 hour thing which i mean 24 hours is kind of impossible are you ever gonna Um, make it (laughs) i i've made it 22 hours and i think that was good enough uh, and then I'm probably just going to do a super, like a 16 hour long stream for the one in November, uh, this year, but each one I do, Is I try to almost up again. Yeah. Oh yeah, God. It's, yeah. It's, uh, first Saturday in November or something like that. Um, 
I've always had the but, excuse of never of like being too far behind to do it. But this time I might not be too far behind. But extra I'd- life is awesome if you actually like kind of have a plan with what you're going to do. So like when extra life came around, was it last year? I think I think it was last year. Uh, I more or less said I'm just going to stream everything that I need, uh, and then have like a four hour chunk in the middle that I'm just going to play with my friends, and then go back to doing whatever. So I had like an insane amount of backlog for literally every series. Except for the multiplayer stuff, which I had to delete because I guess nobody else wanted to be there at the time. But uh, <laughs> it really, it really like does help having just someone else to play with for a little while, where you don't you don't have to be the only thing keeping you know the game running. Yeah, I think November fourth. It's uh, almost here. Just another yeah. month. I might it's have to bad. do it for once, and I'm scared. <laughs> I mean, if if you want to like do a co-op extra life thing that would probably make it a lot easier for like 24 hours no fuck that we're like like i hate you now i don't want to speak to you ever again (laughs) let's do like 16 hours we don't have to be playing together the whole time but like extra life 24 hour podcast (laughs) (laughs) the first ever 24 hour podcast we did it (laughs) yeah i don't think that's ever is there is there any (laughs) such thing such yeah, a long sort of. The the twenty four hour podcast would be kind of what like Rooster Teeth does, uh, for their extra life show, where they just have oh. kind of a podcast show where people are like cycling in and out, and maybe somebody's playing a game in the background. But it really is just a long glorified podcast the whole is, way through. It's basically like this is our room, and we're gonna stream this room, and stuff will happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like we're gonna Which, chaser this person. Here's the guy from Reading, Reading Rainbow. Isn't this weird? And now we're—I don't know—they they just go through phases all day and they schedule it. But they're lucky because cool, they also rotate out like a hundred people. <laughs> so like, yeah, they no, almost they nobody has to be burned it. out the way normal extra life streamers are. They like the pre- premises, yeah. Oh yeah, the company is yeah. gargantuan. Yeah, I—I've been—I've kind of fallen off the achievement hunter, rooster teeth, funhouse train. I just haven't had an interest i'll like try and pick up a video but i've been watching like them going about their office and doing like shenanigans or like how rooster teeth as a whole works and it's fascinating because they really do have like a hundred people they have whole buildings yep. dedicated to like making props and shit and it's like it's mind-boggling not but... a lot of youtubers have an office big enough to skateboard through <laughs> yeah <laughs> really uh, yep. the best way to explain it <laughs> yeah they've got just more or less like a really nice fancy office crammed into like four or five warehouses uh which works great for them and i'm super jealous um but so they yeah Yeah. they have that many people yeah i just never i've never never really watched their stuff to be honest i I know they're very big the only uh, i i've i've seen a few 24 hour and 48 hour actually um live streams and the one that i really that I re- really like the most is um, was one I think back two years back uh, by some uh, a group of uh, Minecraft Mind uh, sorry they're ca- called Minecraft Mindcrack that's their name uh, yeah. and uh, they play a lot of Minecraft stuff and, and that and I really like that one in particular not only because they're an interesting group but they they had a they had a lot of support from Microsoft and all the cameras and all that they were really well done and all that so it wasn't just a single room with a single camera or a few cameras but focused on a single room. It was more more of a higher production budget. It was a lot of fun, actually. I didn't see it all the way through because forty eight hours is crazy. But uh, I've seen others where it's just a lot of, a lot more 
tamed and it depends a lot on the uh the people that are doing it I, I guess i feel like i try to turn it into like a project like go over to andrew's house and be like let's see if we can beat the entire halo franchise in 24 hours yeah see that that's kind of why i was suggesting it i was like if we yeah. could just pick a game and just beat it in one day yeah there is that I is always like satisfying to, when it happens. I feel like I'd have to try to like feed off the energy of being in a room with someone or something in order to make it for a, like a marathon well, live stream. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of why I'm like iffy on the 24-hour thing. Because honestly, like I've done a lot of all-nighters and like 24-hour whatevers, and they're just never really worth it. No. Uh, no. Like they destroy... I mean, I don't remember most of my senior year of college because <laughs> of how many like all-nighters I had to pull and like... Just working. There were there were a couple of periods uh, in other years too that like I want to say it was finals week, sophomore year, something like that. I got a grand total of seven hours of sleep in the whole week, and I was like catatonic. I got all my work done, but like that is just the biggest blur. And all I remember is finding myself at the freshman dining hall, being like, "I'm just eating a plateful of chicken nuggets." And trying every every available sauce, and mayonnaise to chocolate sauce. And that was the point where I realized I should never do this again. Oh. Yeah. And for streaming, you get that crushing thing that happens, which is people from other time zones go to sleep, and then they come back, and you're still streaming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I, I just woke up. What did I miss? I'm like, oh, my God, I'm still going. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually kind of a, a standard thing for me, because I stream in the evening, so... You know, I might get a little bit of the European crowd for a couple hours, and then they go to bed, and they wake up, and I'm still streaming sometimes, and then they're like, huh. Uh, yeah, your normal streams are often like, oh, Wander's still streaming. What? Yeah. Because, like, I, I will it'll be frequently like go for, like, six, eight hours. Sometimes it's, like, two o'clock in the morning for me. Yeah. And I'm in the time zone ahead of you, or behind you, I mean, and you're still up, and I'm like, isn't it, like, almost morning for you now? What do you do? Who are you streaming for at this point? Are they still there? Usually, <laughs> what usually I'm just, is this? I'm confused. I other insomniacs. I don't know. I, I get <laughs> decent numbers. The only you time I'm like, disease. <laughs> yeah, I I you go to bed generally about five a.m. Audience, you you generally go to bed before I do. You generally have always gone to bed before I do, even though I used to be in even a further and even Eastern I, time zone. And I was looking at my sleep schedule as a problem and trying to fix it, and so I've gotten further away from when you go to bed, because now I actually try to sleep at midnight, midnight like a normal person might do that doesn't, well, what a normal person might choose to do. Most people can't stay up that late because they have to wake up at like 6. Yeah, part of my problem is I don't actually wake up until about like 4 or 5 o'clock every day. Like, even if I get up at 10 in the morning, I'm like catatonic until the sun starts to go down. Then I wake up, and then I'm like nice and energetic and so on and so forth. I got um, it. I gotta diverge for a second. Uh, <laughs> okay. Have we talked about Fortnite Battlegrounds thing no. yet? No, we haven't. I just well, got reminded it. of it really funny right now because uh, <laughs> my newest comment on my channel is, this game is free, so please change your title or I will get Epic Games to take down your video. <laughs> Which is adorable. Uh, on your video? Yeah. <laughs> they said that on my Fortnite uh, video. Cause, it's uh, not free. <laughs> Yeah, first of all, uh, in no way is Fortnite free right now. You can't play it for free, period. But second of all, Fortnite is entirely... It's... it's it's. Uh, I think even if you go, when it leaves early access and, be, and stops being free to play, 
uh, starts being free to play, it's going to be monetized entirely based on microtransactions. So either way, it's like they're still trying to make money off of it. Yeah. He's, t- he's taking issue with the fact that my video is called Let's Try Fortnite Battle Royale dash Everybody Wants Player Unknown Battlegrounds Money, which is completely fitting True. for when uh, Fortnite actively clones another game in their game. So yeah, we haven't talked about this in the podcast, have we? No, uh, are, we you, are you up to date on this at all, uh, Colonel RPG? Yes, I've uh, I've heard I've read a piece earlier today, and I've heard uh, Jim Sterling's take on the whole thing. But yeah. little, you you can clarify, I think maybe for the viewers as well. So it is fascinating to see in practice. Like the moment this got announced, I got an email announcing the new mode as like their usual like general PR emails when they're trying to mobilize their audience to like check out the new updates that as they come out and stuff like that. Uh, it's a lot, it actually feels a lot like being, uh, subscribed to Orcs Must Die stuff where they are like relentlessly email you every time they sneeze basically. But, (laughs) uh, so Fortnite was a game that was announced like five plus years ago. And I was really hyped about it because back then it was a super fresh idea, which was that it was going to be this like open world survival game where you scavenge during the day and defend your base at night and you'd build up an actual location that you defend from oncoming hordes. And it was like, wow, it's like the interesting day-night cycle survival stuff from Minecraft, but in a game that's more built for combat as opposed to what Minecraft is, which is a game where you awkwardly click on people and they bounce away from you and it's never been satisfying. So back (laughs) then it was a super cool idea. Uh, It comes out finally after all these years probably changing hands and dying as a project and reviving as a project over and over again over the years and it's like a really shameless free-to-play grinding game where the mechanics mostly don't matter and the mode that i thought the game would be about isn't even in there and it's just a game where you what you do is you spawn in an open world scavenge for as long as you feel like then click a start the mission button and then you just defend that one spot for against like three waves and then the mission ends and you do that over and over again for like dozens of hours as you grind for loot with with higher numbers and stuff like that it's really and unfortunately when you get into it it uh it's not just a skinner box it has like 1700 different layers of an incomprehensible overlapping skinner boxes like at the um, like to the point where we we were using the term skinner box so often that me bird and wander during a previous i think during a recent podcast had to like dedicate the podcast to explaining skinner's boxes basically because of how shamelessly yeah. monetized this game is because yeah. it wants to make a billion trillion different uh ways that incentivize you to spend money on the game and grind 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 forever and stuff and oh boy uh so it already was losing a lot of points in my book for becoming this massively unoriginal really unfortunate like every free-to-play game ever thing where it's like oh look another game that looks like tf2 and wants you to play forever for experience grinding and stuff but now they lose even more points because they they're being uh really overshined right now by the fact that PUBG came out and PUBG is like the biggest steam release ever seemingly like there are metrics you can look at where like the giant spike of player base that PUBG has right now completely dwarfs grand theft auto 5 it completely dwarfs fallout 4 it like not even now but when those games came out like it it looks like it's like looking at like one of those what is it uh it's like you go you look at one of those really strange like cityscapes where there's only one tall building and that's what PUBG looks like and then you realize all those short buildings are what those supposedly major AAA releases over the last five years were and you're like how is that real but it's real (laughs) uh so in response to that very 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 significant market share uh Fortnite just explicitly made a PUBG mode in their game 
and like to a really shameless degree like they they're not even like it's frustrating because like the as it as it was added to the game in its original form which i i just went in and played a match of it and just a because i when i had the email i just had to try it i had to see what this was i was already a player of the game anyway and they i knew i was in trouble immediately because you start when you load up uh the battle royale mode it drops you into a 100 person lobby of st- of standing on some island waiting for the match to start and i'm like oh we're already yeah. starting off with the PUBG lobby and then it puts you into an aircraft that flies over the island and at any point you can press a button to jump out on a glider and choose where your starting point is going to be on the map while also seeing where everyone else is jumping out so you can kind of plan- make your plans where of course you drop with no weapons on you and you have to scavenge all the weapons from scratch just like in PUBG and I'm like whoa this is the exact not only the same like gameplay loop it's like the same framing like the only yeah, real I, change was that the the your device instead of being a plane was like a bus that had wings or something because they were being silly about it. But I'm like, this is concerning immediately. I wouldn't mind it. I think if it wasn't so shameless. Yeah. Like, if I don't even know how they would do it any other way, but maybe that's just because lack of immediate thinking about it. Just because battle royale modes generally don't yeah. interest me. But like, if if they had even like just changed up the presentation you know no flying bus maybe maybe everybody just gets sprinkled all over the place but then also like you land and you realize that they've moved the health bar and stuff from that's no longer on the top left of the screen now it's on the bottom of the screen just like in PUBG, with your ammo being right above your health bar just like in PUBG, with a compass on the top of the screen just like in PUBG, with a mini map in the corner just like in PUBG, that has an arrow that has a line coming from your from your character in the middle of the the mini map pointing in the direction of the closing safety zone that's going to be closing every minute or so and it has like the 100 person player count counting down as they all die along with your number of kills so far and the time it's going to be until the force field contracts again to make the player base run towards a specific spot and i'm like holy shit dudes you made these it's the same it's yeah like that they is... put all the mechanics in there oh like this is what happens when like somebody is like a minecraft modder and they want to make another game in minecraft and they just shamelessly like it like because this game does have Fortnite's mechanics but the game mode is literally every element shamelessly ripped from somebody else's property but like it's okay when it's a modder it's like oh look at this dumb fan project but when it's literally like an official mode made by the actual developers you expect a little more integrity than that like this is not coming from any kind of creative vision nobody was like you know what would be a cool mode for our game no they're like you know what game is really profitable and when our game's not and we're desperate to make money because everyone because because the player base of fortnite as far as i've heard has been like plummeting and it's not yes. even out oh yet. yeah it, so like it it died real fast so like well, that's so like they're just they're just grabbing things they're just like they're just like I, we're falling we're drowning grab onto anything we can and so they did this Ugh. The weird thing, the weird thing is that Fortnite. I, th- I think looking at the game and always looking at the game, I saw. I remember now uh, seeing a video of you guys playing Fortnite. Um, unless I'm completely mistaken, did you guys? You guys played it, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we did about we 20 played... episodes of both PUBG and Fortnite, which is why we're yeah somewhat of a authority on the topic at the very least. Yeah, the the weird thing is that it's the battle royale mode. I think it it it's not at all a bad fit for the game. I think it is an interesting an interesting way to uh 
I think give up the I game think it actually is a bad fit because they sh- so shamelessly took the PUBG mechanics oh, and yeah, they I'm barely not, yeah. changed it to actually make it work for what was already there in Fortnite. Oh, I see. I see what you I mean. think yeah. having so a like, massively multiplayer versus mode makes sense for Fortnite, but what yes. they did doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's the thing. Why didn't they use their strengths? Because I why mean, not make a mode where you make forts? Yeah, <laughs> this because... game is about building forts. <laughs> like, because, like, the, the, it goes as simple as that. Like, a moment you ask that question, you're like, "Wow, this mode doesn't make sense for this game." Like, this yeah. is literally that. That's why I say this is not a creative vision. This is not somebody saying, "You know what's good for our game and a natural growth point," as opposed to a completely forced thing we're doing in order to profit from other people's ideas. Is the fact that it ma- it directly contradicts the basic premise of the game. And when you watch this game, I've both played it myself and watched several other people play rounds of it. You see that both the player that you're watching and every other player they encounter, they're not building stuff. At most, they they build a ramp to get up to a ledge. Yeah, a ramp or like maybe a wall to hide behind. And it's a game about building stuff. (laughs) Like the game spawns you with a pickaxe so that you can like mine trees and rocks and stuff to build stuff with. Like that's even when even this mode, it does that. But no one will ever, there's no reason to do that because you can't camp. So you can't make a how, fort. How you much have to more run interesting spot yeah, exactly? That, that's how much more point. interesting yeah. would it have been if they had actually made it? So you still have the battle royale mode, everything, but maybe it's even a bigger map. There's no forcing the players to get closer, not immediately anyway. But it does the day night cycle thing, so you have to put down that fort to survive. Otherwise, the zombies get you. Uh, and so it's you have the threat of other players, but that core gameplay loop of the zombies, the the husks, that was it. Uh, the husks are coming for you instead. Uh, and if you don't have a fort, you're pretty much doomed. Uh, but other players can, like, raid your fort, take stuff and stuff like that. They're like, that would have been so much more compelling. Or here's an idea. And- uh, 100 players, and they're confined into two teams, red and blue. They're put on two... Ba- they, they have two bases that are opposite of each other, like in Blood Gulch from Halo. Like, But what you do is you start off with a giant open map... And it's the 100% like giant like square map that they have right now. And there's the two bases you have to protect and, or attack, depending on which team you're on. And what they do is there's all these nice, useful resources you can scavenge out in the wasteland way away from the bases, incentivizing you to explore and run around. But the, the uh, playable area will slowly contract until it's literally a lane between the two playable uh, bases. So you scavenge early on and fight against each other and it's permadeath and all that. But then you also, like, as the time goes down, it becomes a base first base combat. Like, it's not, I'm not saying my idea is perfect, but like, it, it, it's, you can think of really good solutions that would actually fit the game really quickly. So like, in the process of making this mode, they would have had to have thought of like a dozen different things that actually would have fit their game. But instead of using any of those things, they religiously stuck to the exact rules, the exact pacing, the exact time limits, and the exact mechanics, all the way down to having the contracting blue force field from the game that's profitable right now. <laughs> I think that just screams of of uh, slapdash job, probably. It's just the yeah. higher-ups at uh, Relic? Epic? And what Epic. sucks is that it doesn't speak to any of the strengths of the game it's ripping off, but also doesn't yeah. complement the strengths of the game that's being built in. Because like yep. PUBG is for many in many many ways PUBG is a stealth game. Yeah. Because you're trying to get the drop and on people and you're you're you blend in with the environment and it's a huge wasteland and and like there's shadows and details everywhere and you're jumping at every little movement you think you see. In Fortnite, you're a TF2 character in a cartoon wasteland that can be spotted from a thousand yards, 
and you can't yeah. crouch or even or, and you can't lay down <laughs> yeah going prone the lack of going prone was why i wasn't even interested in picking it up and i was like so a battle royale game where you can't hide which by the way like, still has sniper rifles yeah <laughs> and pass it, it's such an important even i i've never personally played any battle royale game but i remember um like the very first few that made it probably uh was it daisy one of the first anyway daisy yeah. was the first game that really the first non-minecraft game it. that really took oh. off with this like open world survival thing that people yeah. like really got interested in and, and that, that's the first one i hopped onto too yeah, I, I got Arma 3 because of that, but I never ended up playing it. Uh, neither Arma 3, not Daisy. But um, you, you'd see videos of, of people just playing it and just they'd be prone for 10 or 20 minutes straight just trying to scout out a, a base or something like that. And th that tension, I feel that was always what drove me to actually want to play that sort of game. Uh, and you can see another game that I actually enjoyed watching uh, called The Culling that came out last year it was also Battle Royale, I think. Yeah. And, I mean, still the same sort of stealth-based mechanics and all the power-ups and all that sort of stuff, and very different as well, I think, from PUBG. I, so I, I actually enjoyed watching it, but... I gotta ask, because it speaks to a, a criticism people keep using over and over again, almost like a hive mind, which is everyone's everyone always points to games like H1Z1 and stuff like that as being like, well, every, all these other games already do it. Has Have either of you played H1Z1? Um, Like, ever? No. Uh, I've no. never played, no, no. Uh, I was really hoping you had. I'm trying to look at gameplay videos of H1Z1 to try to compare to it. As far as I can tell, H1Z1, at least on the interface, doesn't seem to have any indication of like having like exactly 100 players and a shrinking uh, like a, a, a like rounds that have a start and finish. And like I, I don't see anything about like a contracting force field or like no, no, I don't. I don't I think got, it has a contracting force. Field. Yeah, I remember watching like a people few are like PUBG didn't invent uh, battle royale mode, but I'm like, yeah, but I think it like I keep trying to research the other games without necessarily buying and playing every single one of them one by one. I can't find a single other game that actually plays like PUBG with that structure. But Fortnite literally had... took all of it. <laughs> the culling, when, when, yeah, the, the culling, culling had, had the barrier. Though yeah. I want to say the whole barrier thing is not unique because I think the barrier was the moving yeah, barrier. Stuff. That is definitely a ref uh that has definitely been around before PUBG. I've seen it in movies and um Yeah, it's a part of uh, of uh the, the Well not a not movies. I, I, we're talking about video game mechanics here, not like well, yeah, yeah. No 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 so, like, so Battle like Royale tropes. is but like Battle Royale is based ultimately off of a book. Like that's how we got Hunger Games. Uh it started yeah. as a Japanese thing and then became a, a uh, an American movie because some some lady stole it, and then it or was it some lady? It, it might have been Hunger Games. It, it doesn't even start with Battle Royale because we have movies like Condemned, uh, that movie with like Sean Austin or whatever that are a bunch of like we're a bunch of prisoners on an island, only the last person that lives gets to leave, and like it's actually like a super long term trope of Last Man Standing as a fictional storyline. Yeah, but like the moving barrier is not unique to Player Unknown's Battleground. I've seen it before. Maybe not in video games necessarily, yeah. but it's not like a fully unique idea. But I mean, like talking about the genre of a video game, like talking about a video game genre being established and stuff like that, people keep citing every other battle royale as being like equally identical as PUBG. And so obviously Fortnite isn't ripping off PUBG, but I'm like, I can't find footage of any other battle royale <laughs> game that is specifically like the game type that PUBG has. 
like even on a reasonable comparison beyond just like last man standing being like the only real point of connection whereas fortnite is like we're going to rip every single rule from the entire rule set of PUBG one for one and that's yeah, why I, it's so gross i think the uh easiest comparison would be like um do you remember kind of when when MOBAs were were coming about and there was like a billion of them and like half of them were clones and ultimately oh, we yeah. ended up with like a sort giant of heroes square no map north. with a diagonal center lane and two lanes that change right, right angles at the corners and that stuff. Yeah, I I think I might be a little bit desensitized to this argument uh, because of that, uh, just because you know League of Legends and Dota are distinct games, but ultimately they're all based off of. It wasn't even, even clones, Dota that it even done clones it. are better though. Yeah, like an actual clone, it's still even better because it's at least made for the thing that it's pl- doing. But in the case of Fortnite, the game's not made for this mode, and the mode actively ignores all of the point of the game that it's in. And it's like that's why it's so shameless. And so, like, how is this happening? Like, that's why it's so. That's why you immediately kind of recoil when you look at it because it's like. It doesn't make sense on like a fundamental level, uh, I, and like the only reason to do it is the cash grab. Yeah, yeah. And so the I really follow up. This. Yeah, we should probably mention the follow up is uh, yesterday or the day before. Uh, the creators of PUBG were coming out saying like they were considering legal action or whatever, and people have been. You guys have heard this, right? Or no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at a Polygon article that reads, PUBG creators are unhappy with Fortnite Battle Royale, considering further action. Yeah, and that is an interesting boat in and of itself, because, of course, PUBG is based off of the Unreal Engine, which Epic Games makes. Um, yep. <laughs> and this is, that's so messed up. That is... <laughs> Because not only are they ripping off... I mean, it, it just adds to the, the sameness of the two games, I feel. Because they are using the same engine, the same mechanics, same interface design, and all that sort of stuff. I'd almost say it's like a kind of cautionary tale to like further developers. Like, Unreal Engine is great, but now that kind of Epic Games has played their hand and said, yeah, we will copy a game that we think is more successful. <laughs> like, I guess Blizzard does the exact same thing, and honestly... It, if and when Blizzard makes their Battle Royale game, it'll probably be the best one on the market, but I, they're not selling an engine to people, so it doesn't feel... I mean, it's still kind of dirty, but it doesn't feel like as exploitative, because, yeah, if, uh, if Bluehole does try and retaliate, Epic Games could probably revoke the license and revoke doom license, um, yeah. PUBG. Oh, God. Yeah. And, like, there's a thing where, like, I... Like, some people are talking about, like, how, like, like, like the first comment you see on Polygon is somebody says, there you go, folks, not just big companies will try to claim ownership of random things like the word prey, some will try to claim an entire genre. And it's like, no, this is not the entire genre. Like, they're not going after every random game that's in the same genre as them. It's very, this is a very specific, clear case of, like, one for one, like, copy going on yeah, here. Yeah, makes sense. And what's a bummer about it is that Epic Games has already shown the ability to innovate and do their own fresh take on things. Because not only did they do Gears of War, which technically cover-based shooting had been in, like, two games before. But, like, they literally, like, carved out a huge thing for themselves that has influenced games for the last ten years. But also, when they announced Fortnite in the first place, that itself was an innovative 
to take that was all on its own of like what was being established by Minecraft. So they've shown like this is a game that started off as being an interesting, different take on a genre and then became this. And that's like the 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 contrast of example between the good example of how to do this and the bad example of how to do this are both in the same game now. <laughs> and that's I don't know why how people cannot get the difference when that's right in front of them. Yeah. Money. And also fanboyism, mostly. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Who needs to think when you can just pick a team? <laughs> yeah. God, I, I don't hate think that. that's ever going away, unfortunately. No, it's not. I deal with it every day. I play Sonic yeah. games, sir. <laughs> and oh, it's, so, it's so easy to just. I, I was reading a, a thing on arguing and why, you know, debate, uh, especially on the Internet, has not been. Or like, well, maybe not on the internet, but like, you know, more recently debate has been kind of bad in the world. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work as well is because the burden of proof has shifted not only so that like you you can't just prove your argument anymore. You have to effectively beat the other person's opinion down so far into the group that uh, group ground that they can't argue with you. Um, to actually be like considered right, like a lot of people will argue with me until they're blue in the face. Face that like Dark Souls Three is the best of the of the Dark Souls games, and I will, I will always say like I like two because it was a little bit slower and had more like mechanics. Um, but you know I can bring up all sorts of information like point to point to different mechanics, and I think people that just kind chart of has finally shifted to being almost equal between all three games in the franchise. <laughs> Interesting. Which is probably for the best. I mean, they all had their merits. But the thing is, you can't have an argument with people on this because your opinion isn't valid in the face of theirs and your proof isn't valid in the face of theirs. So what's the point of it? There's also uh, the best CGP Grey video ever, which is this video will make you angry. Have, you, have either of you seen that? No, of, I have uh, not. Dark Souls 2? Uh, or, yeah, add it to your watch list or whatever. There's a there's a video by CGP Grey called "This Video Will Make You Angry," and it it it's very useful for trying to understand why people are so bad at arguing and so on. And, oh, you and know what? I have seen that video, and it speaks. No, to yeah, the, thinking the, about it. Yeah, the way that that the way that people handle information on the internet is often that like people are so bad at arguing and debating and and seeing the way other people see, mostly because they don't actually talk to those people. They mostly yeah. get together in a group of people they agree with, and then they yell about this other group well, that they don't I agree with, but they mostly I argue was... about the fictional construct version of that group as opposed to the group yes, themselves. Very much I so, was, yeah. I, I was actually pointing that out, I think, on your Discord a week ago or something, that people, uh, when when you were having your giant argument over uh, what is real and our <laughs> no, copies don't bring of it back. people don't real things. Don't bring it up while he's here. <laughs> um, no. Ah, uh, um, but, uh, but I had kind of pointed out that everybody just sounded like they were just kind of rehashing the argument and like, uh, maybe in a lot of these arguments, one of the main problems is there's no like, um, organization to it. Like, yeah, w when I At see people in argue that conversation, about... we were talking to each other though. Yeah. Like that, what, hap that what, helps. what happens instead is the Facebook effect usually, which is that you go to like, like if you're a liberal or conservative or whatever, like look up a Facebook page dedicated to the other party and read about read the comments and how they demonstrate 
uh, what you think <laughs> and like how warped that sounds. And then read, then go back to a Facebook page about a group you agree with, and then read about how war, and then look at how they talk about the group you disagree with, and you'll notice that the two of them talk about each other really similarly. But you, when you look at the other group talking about your group, it's not at all what you think and how you process life and stuff like that. And that'll open your eyes about how useless the information and arguments are from your side. I this is a I think this this issue. Is a lot to do with a lot of stuff that we don't probably don't want to talk about here. No, but regarding but, but, video but games, the, but this topic is useful for everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's useful for everything. The thing I, I think, I think there's a, a concept that has been showing up recently that I've actually only recently been introduced to as a concept. It's called. I don't want to go in too much into it because I guess it has a lot of permutations, but it's the marketplace of ideas. Um, whereas. I think I think it's kind of I think recently we're seeing that more and more on the internet because that's what you were saying. It doesn't matter. It's kind of a post-truth sort of thing, as it were, but not in the sense of like anything like postmodernism or anything like that. It's um, it doesn't matter what the arguments are. It matters how many people agree with you. So that, that that's where it comes. The I mean, maybe they have won the argument already in their mind or in your mind or whatever, but they will still try to pull you down as much as possible because that's how they win. When I say they, I mean in sort of a, this sort of mentality. Well, yeah, that's that's how you win an it's, argument it's is to get the other person to stop to arguing, arguing back. Yeah, there's like there's the tribalism issue of like we need to make this as simple as possible and also give no ground. So every argument on the internet becomes too exact specific arguments that are that are directly opposed to each other and no gray area or other wiggle room can exist and those two just battle it out mostly by not listening to each other even though yeah. they may not even recommend even though they don't even necessarily fully like represent most of the people even on each side at some point yeah because that's the thing it's what uh, i think you, there was a podcast where you said um moderation is the best basically i think you uh you keith said moderation is the best thing but it's not i don't think it is the best thing in the sense that you need to agree a little bit with both sides because that's that's a different sort of moderation no you just specifically need to not subscribe not to you, a group yeah you just you need, need to be impartial that's it I, which I, is not the same I, thing as being uh centrist no yeah, yeah exactly that's uh, exactly I, I what i feel is it's what you were saying i wonder uh, that People don't really. People attack an idea of the other group, uh, like somebody. You'll you'll see this in Dark Souls. I've had discussions about Dark Souls a little bit because I've only I'm only really playing the first one for right now. Um, but I will see arguments being raised against me that I don't even I can't even make, and the people yeah, are expecting exactly. me to make that argument. I'm like, what? I yeah. <laughs> it's on a regular crazy. basis, both for this podcast or topics related to Dark Souls or really anything that has any divide of ideology, any, yes. the moment you indicate, the moment you even slightly criticize one way or another, they bring up their manifesto of the seventeen arguments that people like you make and stuff like that, and they just start, yeah. ar start arguing against this paper. Basically, that's not you, and exactly. you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. I didn't say any of those things. What's going on right now? It's it's like. When during the 999 series, people will be like, you hate anime. And I'm like, I'm literally in the middle of editing a podcast about how fucking the Death Note anime is better than the Death Note Netflix movie. I'm like, what do you mean I, I love hate that one, by anime? The way. I'm like, God Thanks damn it. <laughs> Thank you so much for making that one. That was so good. Because people care more about ignoring your argument 
like rather than rather than addressing your argument itself or admitting that maybe you might have a point about that individual thing and maybe that doesn't have to actually besmirch whether or not they like the thing and maybe we could just be adults about this uh instead of being reasonable like that they'll instead try to go around your argument not address it at all and then try to discredit things about your personality or what you've said about other stuff and like they'll try to use things against you you've said elsewhere or just make up stuff about you essentially about your stance to discredit you and it's like we could just have a conversation. It's fine. You can just... Yeah, but the, con- <laughs> the conversation requires that people want something out of a conversation in the first place. They want to they gain just something win. from that. And they just want to win, yeah. I think it's got a lot to do... I think people just like... It's a sort of a defense mechanism to demonize the other side, as it were. Well, it's a lot easier to fight somebody who is evil yeah. than yeah. different. If yeah, you can replace sure. the reasonable, normal human being that actually is saying the stuff with a crazy effigy that has unreasonable beliefs, then it's really easy to argue against that person that's not real. <laughs> and so the people yeah. do that every day. And the internet makes it a lot harder to not demonize the other person. And yeah. I think even even me, who I'm, I'm conscious about this effect, I think I have to work all the time when I see somebody making the weirdest claim or the weirdest attack and i need to work all the time to try and it's a person that's talking a person that has thought a lot about what they believe in and we all need to do that it's just not something that comes naturally even in real life let alone on the internet and then of course i think cell phones destroy the internet people are commenting too much on their cell phones it's (laughs) (laughs) the cell phones that destroy the internet yes we need to go back to desktop computers for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so what have I you been playing, that, Colonel? Or do you want to keep going on this topic? No, no, I think, I think we, I f- I mean, I think we could rave on this for, for all day, but... Yeah, but I think, we've, yeah. I think we've kind of covered it. Yeah. Do you have a game you want to talk about lately? Uh, yes, I. we could talk about Divinity Original Sin 2 in a little bit, but just regarding what I've been playing, I, uh, I talked about it the last time I was here on the podcast... Uh, and uh, I've uh, right after I finished uh, Torment Tides of Numenera, what, what, that you went didn't back do to very the original. Well. Yes, I started playing uh, Planescape Torment, uh, and it it shows that it's an old game. It shows that also is it's from a, a a company that doesn't have the background of role playing games that we have right now. When when we make a game these days, uh, so it still shows that it's an old game, but that game. It's just so well-written in so many levels. It's so different from everything I've seen so far. Uh, even different from Tides of Numenera. It because comes it up a lot in... when people talk about, like, best CRPG ever made. It yes. comes up a lot. Yeah. I and just it, wish it didn't hurt me to look at. <laughs> I think, I th- yeah, the graphics... I, uh, I uh, The way the way I look at it, it's just... It's pixelated. It's it's kitsch. It's, uh, it's like Stardew Valley. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> weirdly enough, the biggest thing is not so much the actual in-game graphics with a lot of these CRPGs from beyond the, the old days, like uh, Baldur's Gate and Planescape. The biggest thing that turns me off is actually the interface. I'm like, why is yeah, why does it look like the that? interface is huge? <laughs> why is there a floating it, skull with a green gradient behind it? Why no, that's going to be on the screen yeah. the whole time. <laughs> I tried playing Baldur's Gate 1 a while back with my brother and my dad and eventually had to like put it down and be like, I, I'm sorry, I just can't do this. This game yeah. has not aged. Like, like when, actually, they make, when they make Pillars of Eternity and uh, Wasteland 2, they actually don't look much better or different from the old school ones necessarily. 
but the interface and like UI and bottom of the bottom bar and like the openable like interfaces or like, like item management and stuff are like so many leagues and nights, progressed yes. now <laughs> and it's like for sure I, I always have that recoil moment of like oh man that's gonna be on that's gonna be the game okay <laughs> The uh, the reason why there's a that's actually funny I never thought about that because I think I mean I just grew up playing those games. But oh yeah. You ask yeah. why there's a green bar uh, a green circle? I think it might be because of the origins of Baldur's Gate, which was the first. Oh game no, party. I'm talking about one of your party members is represented by a screaming floating green skull. Uh, screaming floating skull, and the background is just a weird green gradient, and they have a rainbow health bar, and it's like oh, oh I'm like I what see. are I'm like what are these design <laughs> elements? What's happening? Oh yeah, that that's different <laughs> whereas like one of your most popular videos is when you played uh uh actually wasteland also is among there but uh when you played pillars of eternity and stuff and like you can see the gap in yes. progression like the like pillars of eternity at the distance you play it at doesn't look that newer than the rest of its genre but the interface is like ah oh, yes i can do this <laughs> i'm comfortable now yeah, one can, of these I days I'll like plug my nose and get in there because I I do want to play Planescape because it's supposed to be incredible. I think I think you get used to the interface. It, it, I mean the graphics as well, but the, the interface uh, you get just get used to it. Definitely play the enhanced edition though. I was kind of afraid to to play it because uh, I have the original, uh, so I guess I just couldn't get it to record properly. Yeah. Um. But it, it's it, and the there's thing... the worry that they'll somehow screw it up. Yeah, exactly. It, especially after on the back of playing Baldur's Gate one and two enhanced editions, uh, but I think Planescape, it's not easy to convey, which is funny because that's what I'm trying to do to convey why it's so different, why it's so refreshing. It's 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 even oh, it's so. I mean, I, it's one of those cases where it's you you have to absolutely play it for, to see, and you'll spend hours in a single room talking to a couple of characters over the weirdest stuff. And it's not like in Tides of Nomenera, because I think in Tides of Nomenera, they really focused a lot on the on world building. Uh, so you, like, you'd find characters that talk a lot about, about this quest or that quest, but it's always in relation to the world. The, the characters in Torment, I, I've seen, I've noticed that they have a, a lot more tendency to just go on tangents regarding their themselves and characterize themselves through their perspective rather than just talking through their, or about the world itself. Or and, just being like, I am an Asari. We produce asexually. We meld with our brains. Oh, I'm like, nothing I, like that. your mother just died. What's happening? <laughs> there's How is this nothing, the conversation we're having? <laughs> Yeah, that, I th- you, now, you, now you say that it's just so out of everything else, and yeah, and the way every shows... other RPG handles its world building is via incredibly yeah. forced companion dialogue, usually. Yeah, I think it shows why so many people look look at it as the best RPG ever made, and well, I mean, I see so many people, a lot of the people who've played it, uh, and uh, I recommend sometime in everybody's life they they should play Planescape Torment. It's something else, for sure. But I recognize that it is tricky to get into. Try to push past, I think. Well, wasn't also the most recent, uh, like the, the, not the revival, but the, the more recent Planescape one, wasn't that one also kind of considered to be a bit of a wash? Yes, I, that's, that's really, actually, I made a video about that uh, because I, I see that, I think it's a little bit worrying uh, I mean, because it's a game that took a lo- long time to get developed, so three years of development, at the very least. 
Uh, it got a pretty successful Kickstarter, and it, I think it sold like two hundred thousand copies. Uh, and it's, oh yeah, it, it, mixed it reviews on Steam. Yeah, I, I mean those reviews are definitely from a lot of people who have played Planescape, and I agree with them. Now that I have played Planescape Torment, the original one, um, because it it doesn't leave up. I think it, it took too many. It took took uh, like there's a lot of direct inspiration, like in in without any spoilers. In, so you kind um, of had the ideal experience because you played the reboot or whatever you want to call it first not knowing what was changed or missing or like yes. what you were losing out on and then you got to go back after kind of enjoying it or whatever experience why people were saying it did suck by comparison yes. without exactly. feeling that the whole time it's like watching exactly. the movie based on a book before reading the book then going back and reading the book it's like yep, i got to very like much the movie. like that i got to like the movie first <laughs> so i got i got it two times twice uh, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's very much like that. You can see par- direct parallels, like characters that are the same sort of character that talk the same way. There's like they narrate themselves rather than say the stuff, or uh, like the blood war in Dungeons and Dragons, which is a big center point for the whole mythos. Um, it's it's directly lifted out. Like it's a big point in Planescape, and there's a similar thing in T- Tides of Numenera. Like the whole focus of the of the game itself, it's the same idea. It's the same questions that are being asked. So it's it's a rehash. Oh effectively. no! So, so it's it, Andromeda. Yeah, it's... Well, Andromeda did. I, I mean, I watched your Let's Play, but did you feel that it rehashed a lot of the stuff from the original? Well, like Andromeda. Effect? I had a breakdown when I hit that one mushroom, as you might remember. Where <laughs> <laughs> do you remember yes. the mushroom rant? <laughs> So in yes. the, there's a point in Mass Effect Andromeda where I encountered a mushroom and it I was it was already in a bad spot because like Mass Effect 1 ends well the, the right before it ends when you get to the climax moment that's like the location before the final location but it's during the linear ending uh you reach the planet that is supposed to be this list place those proteins were on and there's like there's pods of all the people like where the proteins used to be in and that's where you get the big unveil that recontextualizes part of the story right before you go forward to the climax and stuff like that and lo and behold near the end of in the second to last plot point of andromeda you get to an alien planet that is from the before time people and there's pods full of full of bodies and all of the all throughout the area all all the way like in both cases it was like pods all the way up the walls like vertically and shit i remember while you're there uh, you then get unveiled the amazing secret that changes the context of part of the story. And just to, as an icing on the cake, uh, I, right when I was about to actually unveil that plot point, I found a giant mushroom and I scanned it. And that mushroom was like, it looks like a mushroom, but it only looks like a mushroom. It's actually nothing like a mushroom. And then it continue, and then it doesn't continue to explain why it's not like a mushroom. It just stops there. <laughs> and so like all it does is say it looks like a mushroom but it's actually not and i'm like wow this looks like ilos but it's actually not and like this mass effects original trilogy and andromeda are both about an invading alien race that like wants to wipe out the people that actually live there but also incorporate their dna in some way in the process and i'm like what come on guys Better, you can yeah. make new stories <laughs> and they like yeah. they like they both had protheans but not protheans and then like and the the before technology that manifests all the plot points that's just conveniently there already and i'm like oh so like think... yeah it sounds like this is kind of like andromeda and in that it's like they instead of making something genuinely new they keep recycling ideas from the, yes. the before thing and it feels 
It makes the whole thing I, feel cheap and derivative when you were promised something new and interesting. Exactly. I, I think I think Andromeda didn't do quite as good a job as Tides of Numenera. No, to... most games are better than Andromeda. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to bash too much on, on the dead horse, uh, literally, uh, uh, apparently. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I enjoyed Tides of Numenera a lot when I finished it. I, I felt it was the best game that it could be. But then I played the game that the best game that it could be. I'm playing. I still haven't finished yeah. it, but it's just no. It could have been better. I could have been better. <laughs> it, just, it was less Andromeda and more a Jurassic World. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, that's a different. That's a different rant. I did not like. <laughs> Do you have yeah. a rant for Jurassic World? No, no, Me? no. The... Or him? <laughs> no, Keith. Yeah, Keith. No, I've never but, seen Jurassic World. Actually, I've just heard oh. everyone talk about it being uh, what it was. I'm confusing. I'm confusing podcasts here. I'm sorry. No, yeah, yeah I didn't. I wasn't let's, particularly interested in watching let, another reboot franchise. Yeah, let's uh, let's I'm, avoid Jurassic World. I have but, words for that. But that then do not I watched Ghostbusters. Yeah, why did you do that? Uh, I never talked why, about why Ghostbusters on the podcast, did I? No. Do we no. need to? No. We can. No. <laughs> you can spoil you watch it, cast that alone in your shame, and <laughs> that's where it belongs. The dark. I, you know what? The biggest surprise wasn't the reboot of Ghostbusters. It was watching Ghostbusters two. Really? Have you have you guys seen Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters two? I have. I, I Ghostbusters have two is just a giant blank space. So I had the experience of watching them on back to back days because over three days that each evening I watched a Ghostbusters movie. Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters two are the same movie. Hmm. Like, yeah. not only do they have the same plot points dealing with the same characters all the way down to the same damsel dealing with the sa- the demon in both movies and stuff like that, but characters appear and disappear at exact, almost the same time code in the movie to the point where, like, the, like they're, uh, like, it's it's originally three professors and they hire a fourth guy and the fourth guy is like, like, he evens out the group, but he kind of is detached from the whole thing and he only shows up like halfway through the movie in the first movie. In the second movie, he immediately disappears and then shows up again halfway through the movie. And I'm like, what? It's like they actually, it's almost like they recycled the same script note for note. And that's probably why people both forget what was in that movie and why it was so poorly received. It was, I was actually actively confused by how much it felt like I was watching the same movie two nights in a row, like note and for note. And the, it's only five years in between the two movies. Why did they do that? I don't, I think they, it was just. It's one of those moments, almost like Andromeda and stuff like that, where it's just like someone mandated that a thing be made the follow up on the success of another thing because it'll make money and no yeah. one had ideas or creative spark behind it. So they just did like the most cynical thing. Yeah. Well, well was- I mean, it kind of makes sense. Uh, Bill Murray hated Ghostbusters start to finish. And I'm fairly certain Ghostbusters 2 is just a quick cash grab where they're like, Okay, what can we do to get this done as fast as possible without actually, like, trying? And then with the remake, it was kind of that, but let's play on the nostalgia bit a bunch and then try and make it, like, hip and modern, which like It even gets as work. specific as, like, uh, Sigourney Weaver will be doing something artsy in the background because that's her job, and then she'll get mixed up with some, like... Someone that's on like the dysfun- like socially dysfunctional spectrum, probably because of how nonsensical their interactions with her and how inappropriate they always are, 
and then that person will be in some way possessed by the demon and and, and be involved in the climax when the demon is attacking Sigourney Weaver and stuff like that because that happens in both movies and then right when the Ghostbusters are getting down to business like I think we know what's going on that's the exact moment when the mayor arrests them or in the second movie sends them to a psych ward and which is another form of sending them to jail and in that and then while they're in prison they hatch the scheme on how to defeat the thing and then break out to go defeat the thing oh no they don't break out in both movies i think the authority figure then was like oh no we're actually screwed we got to let them out to take care of it i'm like it's the same movie it's so confusing how much it's the same movie (laughs) i have no idea i'm lucky enough well i'll say i'm lucky enough i don't really mean that because I, I I've never I, I don't think I've ever seen the even the animated versions or anything. Yeah, if, if you ever get around to it now, you'll know in advance, so you'll be looking for it, and you'll be you, it'll be like the most interesting like like uh, was it like it's just like a, a learning experience. Like yeah. once you know it, it's like it becomes a study, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna watch for it now. Like whoa, this is screwing <laughs> with me. There's really not much to say about the reboot. It's just. It's made by that one guy that just films a bunch of improv and then edits together. So it's exactly as it's exactly like all the other movies that guy makes, which I don't like. But if you like them, you'll like that. But I don't like I don't like comedies that aren't written. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like there's comedies out there that 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 uh there's comedies out there like the Cornetto trilogy. Like, you know, like Stuff like uh, uh, Baby Driver or Shaun the Dead or Scott Pilgrim and Hot Fuzz, like all the stuff that he makes, like those are written comedies. They have jokes that were written on a script and edited together Mm. and carefully directed. And there's other comedies that are made nowadays where a bunch of improv actors that were probably SNL actors get together and just improv a lot. And they just edit those together to be the old comedy scenes. And it's just like... Feature movies? Yeah, th- that constantly. Like, Paul Feig movies and stuff like that. Uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, I'm looking over his movies and I don't know a sing- like single Bridesmaids one. Like, Bridesmaids or this movie or, like, a lot of other ones. are like They're basically just some comedy actors that are used to being around each other that are just yes-anding each other a lot. And then they yeah. take the best takes or mix together the best takes and make that be every comedy segment. So, it means... Every comedy segment doesn't have like momentum. It doesn't really like go anywhere and it doesn't have sharp writing or anything because it's just people standing still and saying stuff to be funny back to back. And you know that they just improv for like two hours and took the best take and that's the whole movie. And I'm like, I can't like it's in many ways, it's the opposite of Ghostbusters because that was a written comedy. But like people, it used to be that people would be like, oh, wow, you know, that one funny thing, that one really interesting part that was improv. Isn't that crazy? But nowadays, like, the entire movie's improv, and it doesn't... That's not a good change. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, just cutting... Effectively, it's just cutting... Yeah. ...work. This isn't, like, and Mass Effect Andromeda or, like, Star Wars prequels where you can, like, sit there and, like, just agonize over all the plot holes forever. It's just, like, the overall movie is a thing you pro- that a lot of people won't like and other people will like. And it's, like, that's the that's actually the biggest change. Isn't that, like, oh, they're female? It's, like... Oh, it's an improv movie. <laughs> it's one of those. <laughs> it's a Paul Feig movie. Good luck, know, have yeah, fun. I, Your mileage may vary. I, I, I recognize his face. I think I've seen him in, in a few television series, maybe? Looking at his work, but I didn't know that movies like this were made. That sounds really oh, yeah. weird. People like it. Yeah, he did uh, Ghostbusters, Spy, Bridesmaids, Heat... He does a lot. He does a lot of the movies that actually have uh, what's her name in it. Uh, 
I'm blanking. Uh, Kristen Wiig? Melissa McCarthy. Melissa, M- Melissa McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah. yeah, he does oh, like yeah, most the... of those movies. Yeah, if you see <laughs> Melissa McCarthy in a movie, or you see, uh, what's the other guy, uh, Kevin Hart in a movie, uh, the movie's probably improv. It's probably yeah. just improv comedy where they hired comedians to just be funny, and the movie will just come together in editing. And I, I don't like that trend. <laughs> And so now I, that I now that I saw Melissa McCarthy, I know who she is. I think I've seen Bridesmaid on cinema, and that movie completely vanished from my brain yes. forever. And that's because Even most we, of the runtime is like just wasted time, essentially. Yeah. So it's yep. really hard though, to, stick to keep it in your brain. Even though it had um, what's her name? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember her name now. I can't. I can't remember the name. Um, Bridesmaids but, yeah. had a good cast. Yeah, it, should, it, 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 it yeah, but I completely forgot about it. <laughs> it, it. It's not, it's not the sort of movie that sticks with you, I guess. No, no. That's that's why I don't watch <laughs> movies too much. Is because I am always looking for those that I know at least are gonna make me think, even if they're not. Like for example, I think the last one, last movie that I watched that I really didn't like was um, uh, that one movie with um. There's some aliens that come, you know, like a egg shaped spacecraft that talk in circles does that oh, sound oh the arrival. arrival arrival that's the one and i i really didn't enjoy it but it at least it made me think and it's also always a reference to when i want to talk about that sort of thematic i can just say this movie kind of deals with that and there's this and i think oh th- yeah that's the sort of stuff that really engages me like all like the time. It, yeah like it or not arrival will be burned into your brain as a reference point for a specific idea that might come up in other contexts and you'll be like oh it's like arrival and then you can use arrival like the way that I would use soma to explain certain concepts when they come up in other games like arrival fits that brain space yeah. of like this is a new thing to refer to and th- those are always yeah. better than watching another i don't know kind of time waster another adam sandler film or something <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely like, let's watch Adam Sandler's latest paid vacation. He wanted to go to the Caribbean this time, so this movie takes place there. <laughs> you, me- you mentioned Soma. You don't want to talk about Observer, do you? Or do you? <laughs> I, I'll talk about... I'd, I'd prefer to talk about Observer in like a non-spoiler context to recommend it to people as opposed to spoiler mm-hmm. casting it necessarily. Uh, yeah. I, I we never you, did that, did we, Wander? No, we never talked about Observer. Because you started think- it, then Wan- and Bird started, but you both bounced Bird- off of it immediately. Yeah, Bird and I talked about how we had trouble with it, how he loved the part I didn't love, I loved the part he didn't love, and that our audiences just had no interest in either. So, was, Yeah, and I think when you talked about it. about it, I literally took my headphones out and walked away or something or like browsed the internet for a while because I didn't want to spoil the game because I, I looked at yeah, the Steam page. I'm like, you that's hadn't my even, <laughs> You hadn't even started playing it. Um, in reference to that... Uh, you mind if I talk about Echo, seeing as uh, I just finished that last night? Yeah, we, we, do you, you want to wait till we talk about Observer first or something? Or Sure, yeah, you can do I, I didn't yeah. know if you were dancing around the topic, because I was no, like, I, I just can didn't talk wanna, about Echo. I just didn't want to do spoilers on it, because I want to recommend it to people, because yeah, yeah. I think it's neat, even if some people disagree with me about what the ending means or something. Uh, <laughs> but it's one of those... It's a recent trend in indie games to try to get mileage out of your game by following along with this trend that's become... It, I think Bioshock kind of kicked it off with like popularizing environmental storytelling and slow methodical exploration and poking around for audio logs. Obviously those very developers made 
other games like that before, but Bioshock was like the giant critical mass game that sort of got people used to this again, especially because it was a popular console game as opposed to a niche PC game. Uh, and more recently, PC games have gone, like they've done the, uh, was it Gone Home? And I, Tacoma, I haven't played, but Bird has. And uh, What Remains of Edith Finch is becoming popular to make these indie-ish games that are like a, somewhere between two to ten hours long of mostly slowly poking around people's living quarters and learning about them and what happened there and stuff like that and coming up with a story that that works with that idea because it it uh it both works on a i can make a whole game out of this that doesn't have a billion like square miles of of area to cover because i because it's a small project but also i can like i can meaningfully using this genre you can meaningfully make a decently long game that actually doesn't feel like it's wasting your time and it doesn't feel like it's full of padding because it's about the details and observer is very much about that you're you're investigating you're you're playing an investigator that's going and and trying to find in this case uh your son who may or may have not been murdered and you're trying to figure out what's going on in this apartment complex and you're just slowly going through these different apartments finding passwords to different doors or going through people's emails and digging through their, their private details and it's all a giant experience and really fun world building because it's a it takes place in a it takes place in a cyberpunk setting and you're playing as an observer which is this character that can actually hack into people's brains and experience some version of their life as a result and so you can not only investigate uh the apartments and the setting which is all very carefully rendered and beautiful and not not beautiful as in like good to look at but beautiful as in like beautifully put together it's a disgusting location uh it's horrible (laughs) but it has this added detail of you can jack into people's brains and that seems uh so and when you jack into their brains you don't just get um you don't get a literal recording of their memories you get a nightmare essentially and it's the game's not clear on whether that always happens or if it just happens in this game because everyone you jack into is either dead or dying and and like that and maybe that's making it worse or something but it essentially becomes like a like a psychedelic nightmare like it's it's like a mixture of that person's trauma and actual memories that they've had so like you'll the conversations that they witnessed will be replayed to you in their real form, but then the room can be wrong. Like there might like the wall might be flesh, or there might be a hundred washing machines all stacked on each other in a hallway that are all going at it at once. And like there's like the the, the settings become fantastical, and it becomes a real trip. Uh, but unfortunately, I found that actually became the weak point of the game. Is that the uh, especially the early on early on these brain hacking moments are way too long. Like some of them yeah. are forty minutes, sixty minutes. And I'm like, I at, by the time you get back to the real world, you're like, what was I even doing? <laughs> I, like, what was I? Why did I? What was I doing before I hacked into that brain? Because like they uh they get they lose their effectiveness and get diminishing returns because of how long they are. But overall, I found the world building and story and exploration just captivating, and the atmosphere and sound design was all creepy and unnerving. And the game constantly makes you f- it, it often makes you feel like you're constantly in, in threat. Even though the overall number of like monster segments is like, a ha- like I would say is maybe like three minutes total of what was I think a ten hour game for me, and I I had a great time. It's a cool thing, and if you like those kinds of, if you like uh, stories about consciousness and about like cyberpunk settings and stuff like that, and also like that gameplay style of like 
what remains of Edith Finch and stuff like that, then it's worth checking out, I think. I think there's not as... I can't speak from experience because I only watched your uh, Let's Play. I, I think it's not as much... It's not quite as uh, detailed on the world building as uh, it, uh, what remains of Edith Finch and, and doesn't actually manage to create that many theories, I feel. Yeah. But it's still, I think I think you're totally right there on the world building. I thought it was, uh, was really, really good. And I, what, the detail I really appreciated was the way they treated them. I mean, not the length, it's, but, but the memories, the way they a, were treated. Just to comment on, that, on what you were pointing at there, I think the main criticism there is that it's less focused than Edith Finch. Because oh, yeah, Edith, in yeah. Edith Finch, every room is about one continuing story about that family's curse and what the hell's going on in the story of Edith Finch. Whereas it's actually relatively scarce for stuff in Observer to be about the core story. And a lot of it is extraneous details about the world that it's in as opposed to expanding on the, the core mystery. It, yeah. I, I think that also shows on the length of the game. They might have done oh, yeah. it on purpose. Oh, yeah. Some people beat... Like, if you watch the popular YouTubers that just blaze through games, this game is, like, three hours long, according to them. <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to if you, like poke around and everything it's like 10 hours long basically so yeah. your mileage may vary there also just fair warning because of the i think it's actually what happened to both wander and bird to an extent is that like if you have issues with like motion sickness or headaches or issues with weird filters on screens and all those other things were like the way that if you get visually presented can can make you can ruin the game for you uh this might be a giant red flag game for you <laughs> Yeah, although it, I guess uh, if there you get on some Steam, serious though, motion sickness issues, and the sound design doesn't actually help. I think they it even makes it worse. Yeah, in in some parts that uh, it was even difficult for me. I also have problems with motion sickness. It was even difficult to me uh, to listen to sometimes, and watching was hard. Yeah, it's like so, it's a claustrophobic, headachey, like difficult to visually decipher at times game, and I almost never have issues with anything like that so it didn't phase me at all but uh there are people that that'll immediately turn off but yeah if you get it on steam you will know that well within the refund period on steam so that's yes. a plus uh the only game that's hit me negatively in that way was that game of uh replays uh perception replays the blind girl oh, uh, that was yeah. the only one where i'm like i can't look at this game anymore because you kept it was a pure black game where you would make sound waves that would like daredevil essentially, and this and like the pure black to bright light to pure black for four hours straight was like I can't look at this. Actually, starting to hurt to look at this game. It, you play, just before you played that one, you also played that uh, Scanner Somber. I think it was yeah. That Which one what... <laughs> didn't you have problems with that as well? Uh, Scanner Somber didn't mess with my. I don't think it started to hurt to look at. Hmm. Uh, but it was that was also a game about not being able to see and essentially adding uh, stuff to your environment that allows you to see. Might, but Scanner Somber was more like Unfinished Swan than a than a Perception. But also, I had just played Unfinished Swan. I don't know why I went on a kick on games where you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably because somebody gave you all this, those suggestions in the same bunch, and you yeah. maybe no. That sometimes it's happens. the. Uh... Oh, what's the effect where where things from like the same topic come out close together, even oh. though they have nothing to do with each other? Like, there were two movies where the World Trade Center got 
bombed. They came out in 2001 and no one had any idea and they had nothing to do with each other and they both obviously got removed but it was just this weird effect of like here's a thing that coincidentally happened is at the same time as another thing and like no one I had any idea. I don't know what idea. that effect is but you gotta research it and like write it down and paste it on your wall so that you can memorize it. <laughs> and I mean, then you, that does just cause it's not, now yeah. <laughs> I'm having that effect on you mentioning that effect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's it's we need not to get the, down to what it's called so we can stop referring the to it as that one it? effect because that's a different one because the law of attraction is is the whole thing of uh, about was it the oh that was a book the secret right that's not that one um I mean I, I know that was the book but. I mean, it, it sounds kind of similar, but I'm not sure that's what Wonder is referring to. I just Googled effect where once you notice, let's see. Well, that's a different effect. That's uh, the effect where you see uh, once you know of something, uh, you start seeing it everywhere. The Bader-Meinhof phenomenon is the one you're talking yeah. about in that sentence. That's a completely different one from the like two completely unassociated things coming out very close together for no obvious reason or like... I mean, that's just societal. a coincidence, right? Sort of, but, like, it happens not infrequently. Um, it's like how kind of... I mean, in the games industry, it's not as, as like, ridiculous for this, but we had, you know, Battleborn and Overwatch more or less coming, at, coming out at the same time, and obviously that was a little bit more planned because they were in direct competition. Um, but, like, both of those games were started in secret well before... Uh, and then it just kind of was pure coincidence that they were more or less reaching the end of their development cycle at the same time. Though, I think Overwatch was pushed up to beat out Battleborn, which worked out. But, like, uh, this is the same thing with the, uh, the movie The Day After Tomorrow, I believe it was. There was also a very similar movie that came out, like, almost the same plot. And I think it came out in the same year. And that was, like, a complete accident, and it just Or, like, just the happened. Prestige and that other magician movie that came out the same year, I think. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it just happens, and no one knows, knows why. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts on I, Observer? Uh, no, I mentioned Observer because you mentioned Soma, and we had uh, some interesting discussions about that. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think we, we can go or should go into all that, but yeah. I, I would just like to rehear your take on Observer. Because I, I really felt it was... Was uh, it raised? I think it, it did a better job at raising questions than actually putting them to uh, to the test or even answering them in regards to how you approach the world, and that's why we had that discussion. Because I, I'm pretty sure if we talked about Soma, we wouldn't have too much disagreements. And even no, though I think Soma have... answers the questions it raises, because yeah. answering the questions makes them scarier in that yeah, game. Exactly. <laughs> the it, answers, the questions I... are even scarier than the questions in that game. It's such a brilliant game. I, have I you, play, have you played Soma yet, uh, Wander? Or no, I haven't. On yourself or anything? They uh, that, that was that just when I was like boy. starting to grow my channel, and I requested a press copy, and they're like, "Yeah, we we know we promised you a key, but turns out we don't have enough for you, and you're too oh. small, so you didn't make the cut." So, uh, or oh. uh, yeah, so that was one of those games where it's like, well, at least they sent a really nice email, but I'm already busy, so I guess I'm just gonna pass on it. And then obviously, I've just been busy with everything else so i just didn't even bother someone's real fucked up all right echo shoot 
Uh, so Echo is kind of a neat game. Uh, it I would put it closer to Outlast. It's it's very ultimately kind of a minimal gameplay experience. Usually running and hiding from a thing. Uh, in this a case, game? He's sort of uh, suspense. I, it's got a little bit of body horror because the I mean the the screenshots show it off. But the only enemy in the game is copies of the main character, and they learn from the main character. So, say if you sprint, they will start sprinting. If you shoot, they will start shooting. If you eat grapes, they will randomly eat grapes. Uh, if you open <laughs> doors, they'll open doors. If you use elevators, they use elevators. But if you don't do any of the, those things, they don't do any of those things. And they will forget after a short while. Usually it's one cycle, but on higher difficulties, uh, it takes them a little while to forget because... It's a you're in a you're in a system you're in a effectively a program that is designed to learn from your actions, and so if you stop running, they stop running because you know it's trying to copy you. It's trying to use what you have against you, uh, and it's actually like a really interesting game uh, from like a, a stealth segment because it really forces you to kind of pick and choose what abilities you use when. Uh, in a way that I've never seen in another game. Like in um, in Dishonored, uh, for example, you were kind of dissuaded from using the Rat Swarm because it was a high chaos action, and if you wanted the good ending, you couldn't do it. But I always thought that was kind of a bullshit uh, reasoning for it. And it's like, so if I want to avoid the bad ending, I just don't use the bad powers. All right, you know, I'll just KOTOR this up and only use the light side powers and, like, knock people out with sleep darts. Hmm. Um but so in this game, you can sprint uh, if you need to, but it'll come back to bite you. Uh, my favorite part was actually when you really, really learn what they can learn and can't learn is you walk out into this area and there's all of these echoes, the clones of the main character, and they're just standing around on little islands. Uh, effectively, there's the entire room's covered in water except for a couple spots. And you walk out onto it and they just stare at you and they like get up close to the water, but they can't figure out how to get into it. And they're like, they're standing there, they're watching you, but they can't reach you. And then the whole thing so resets. It's uh, <laughs> really creepy, actually. I'm, yeah. I'm, who's making this game? I don't know. Ultra, uh, Ultra, Ultra, Ultra. Yeah, I've never heard of them before. Uh, yeah. This is their first game, I like believe. Like most interesting, weird games that pop up on Steam, they have no history when you look up their Steam page. And you have to do like, yeah. you have to dig way deeper. I've been trying yeah. to figure out who... Yeah, because this sounds like the sort of game that if it was made by the same guys that made Dishonored, because they have a lot of experience. Those yeah. people are too uh, busy making Prey and then more Dishonored right now. Yeah, but So the premise of it is... Uh, amazing. Yeah, every... it, just says, it just says there's some company from Denmark and doesn't say anything about their yeah. background. Yeah, nothing. I could find not, almost nothing on them, but I picked not, it up. Not even like, like the Red Barrel's cheap. elevator pitch of being like, we worked on like bioshock and gta or like 17 other AAA games like none of that's there either no they just made this out of nowhere it's weird um but so the game the way the game works is uh you have kind of a quota of what you can teach them before it'll reset so if you don't do anything it almost never resets uh so uh at one point i did a test i stood stock still for like 10 minutes straight and ultimately it didn't reset. It didn't learn enough from me, so it, it wouldn't, like, reset and make them learn to not even move. Because I was hoping that I could cheese the system and convince them that moving was bad. And so I just have one, one like, day cycle. Like they're a braid clone? Yeah. 
Uh, I, I was really hoping I could just convince them to stand stock still while I just run th- ran through the level gleefully. Uh, but it looked like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't cheese the game that bad, which, I mean, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so what happened is for the water segment, you walk out into the water and you're all fine. And then the lights go out and then they learn how to walk in water. And suddenly you have a bunch of clones of you chasing after you in a big open room where there's no cover to hide in or anything like that. And so, uh, I think that was the first time I actually pulled out my gun and shot, um, and as a result, because I shot while the lights were on, because if you shoot while the lights are off or do anything while the lights are off, they don't learn from that. So you you kind of you can kind of bide your time and like get really risky yeah, so as the, the lights are about has to go periodic, off. This game has periodic blackouts. Yeah, and that's like essentially when the cameras are off, like in uh, like in uh, Ex Machina, <laughs> and that's yeah. like off the record parts where you can do whatever you want. And so that's really cool because usually I would there's audio cues when the lights are going to go off. So like I know I've got about 30 seconds before the lights go off. I start walking just like as quickly as possible for the destination because as soon as the lights go off, I can just open up. I've got five shots and I can get more ammo fairly easily. And so I can pick off anybody that's coming after me. And then I can also sprint, open doors, close doors, leap off ledges, all sorts of things. And so that gives me a, a grace period. But then as soon as the lights come on, anybody that I haven't killed will respawn where they were. And uh, that gives me like about five seconds to get behind cover out of their range of sight. Or my favorite is to get up behind them. And as as they're getting up, I am immediately choking them to death Um, because then I'd have this whole safe area that I don't have to worry about avoiding anyone for. Um, Unfortunately, after you kind of get used to it, you find out that the AI is a little bit predictable. They usually follow very set paths. If they don't know how to open doors, walk through water, slide over things, or, like, jump down rails, all they will do is actually patrol in, like, a very, very tight area. Uh, And so I spent about an hour and a half not shooting, not sprinting, not opening doors or anything. I'd just wait for the lights to go out. Then I'd do that stuff and move through, and it kind of trivialized the game to the point where it wasn't fun anymore. Um, But, so, uh, the thing was, by the end of the game, they gave me enemies that... is there like a campaign or something? Yeah, it's a. When you look a, at the screenshots, it's, it looks like one room is the entire game yeah. because it's incomprehensible because uh, it all looks the same location-wise. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's this this giant Victorian, almost Escher-looking palace with like a lot of weird uh, railways and levels and stuff it like that. It looks like no, each, some sort of matrix construct. It, it well, like an infinite it kind room. of is. The entire point of it is the thing is self-generating and is like you know making itself bigger as you go through it. Uh, So it is going to look a little similar, but like each of the areas is kind of visually distinct, mostly by like tonality and some extra props. But there were there were definitely a couple of levels that were similar uh, in like the second and the fourth chapters. Those were pretty close together. But once you get to the end, it's unique again. I don't know. It only felt repetitive once, but it's also like a five, six hour game. So it didn't have enough time to to actually feel like a slog, uh, which was good. But the end of the game, uh, I actually have a clip on my announcements page if you guys want to watch it. Uh, you get enemies that learn on their own, and oh. they figured out how to use an elevator. Uh, so specifically, I took an elevator up, and they called it back down while I was still on the elevator. So I then go back down, and there's five of them, and they mob me and rip me to shreds. And I'm just like, oh... <laughs> That was bad. And the developer for that specific specific section of the game was watching it and taunting <laughs> me the entire time, which was like, 
huge dick move, but also kind of appreciated because that's always fun. How weird is it to have the developers watching while you're playing it the is game? <laughs> not uncommon, uh, which is fun. Unfortunately, I have this bad luck where they'll show up when I'm having like a really bad time. And they <laughs> usually fix like whatever is giving me a bad time. Like I was having um I was having a problem with um Oh jeez, I don't even uh robot named Fight at one point and the developer had not slept in like two or three days because his game was going up and he was like doing last minute whatever's and he sent me like this like really apologetic message on twi- Twitter oh. and I'm just like, dude, I was in a bad place. Like I was getting my ass it's, kicked and you've already fixed the glitch, so it's fine. It's like when the, the developer of Wanderlust Wanderlust Adventure Wanderlust yeah. Adventures showed up to the stream when the game was just breaking. <laughs> I felt so bad about that. We essentially skipped the final boss fight, didn't we? Because oh, it, yeah, like, did. it just didn't happen. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, we, it just didn't happen. And the developer was watching the stream. Yep. It's also like a the whole... experience of the developer of uh, the Fall of the Dungeon Guardian show up to watch me as I was beating the game. So he was there for like three hours during my final chunk of the game. And boy, that was a game. <laughs> I don't have high... I don't have the happiest things to say about that game. It was extra weird that the developer show up. It's worse when it's a developer of a game that like I can't say good things about. Uh, I had the I had the developers of Immortal Planet show up, and I knew they were watching my series. But it was like it was a Souls like where you had to. So imagine if your Estus Flask only had one charge, and you charged it up by finding like temporary charges in like item containers. And so you had to run through the whole level again before you could try and take on the boss because otherwise you wouldn't have enough Estus to take on Dark Eater Meteor. Like how, how frustrating like, would that, that have That sounds like been? a really unfortunate incentive system built into the game. Yeah, that's and not so even was... the worst part is the boss is so many. There's like three or four tiers for each boss, and they yeah. each part has a different attack move. Yeah. So every time you it, really it did hard. the uh, Lords of the Fallen thing, where every time you got it down a tier, it would um, it would you know, get harder. And so, I don't know. It was just... Or in the case, of the, boss the, or in the, case of the final boss of Lords of the Fallen, accidentally easier. <laughs> yeah, that was a really goofy fight. Um, <laughs> but, like, this is a boss that... I got I got 13 health charges. I walked into the boss fight and one-shot me. It stunned me on a damage pad as I entered the room, and I died with all of my stuff. And I'd spent, like, 10, 20 minutes getting all that stuff so when it finally happened i was just like fuck this i quit and that was my last episode and i was like i know the developers are watching this and i feel really bad but at the same time like i can't (laughs) just like suppress the just rage with that segment because it was just like this could have been a good game but you forgot to make it fun yeah i got the impression i played it for uh, i actually played for a few hours but on stream i played it for a little bit and i got immediately the impression that it was the way I put it was, it's a game for people who like hard games, but I think it's that's not the full picture. I think there's a lot of stuff there. I think it's it's about the fun, really. Yeah, well, I totally understand enjoying games for that are hard for the sake of being hard, but I I'm getting kind of tired as a YouTuber of games <laughs> that are hard for the sake of being hard because generally you have to kind of like throw your face at them over and yeah. over and over again. And as a YouTuber, I can't afford that because. You lose five episodes in a row. Like, what do you do after a while? Uh, Keith, you were kind of talking about this when you were beating Bloodborne. 
that yeah, like your last the experience couple of, of like were... you have this much backlog of recording and then you're stuck on a boss for x number of days or something you're like at some point the next video has to come out right and like soon like i'll run out of backlog of video but i'm still stuck in the part of the game that i'm stuck on yeah and so that's usually what what kills games for me that are like extra hard because it's not worth it for me to play a game that you I've know i'm only made that problem worse for myself because i started playing games that are hard for a different reason I started, I decided to have a dedicated puzzle slot and boy, oh boy, every puzzle game I have, there's like a significant, on something. like there's there. Yeah. Every single episode is a percentage that is less than 100% of the actual recording that episodes made from. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just losing time because I'm, you get stuck on all these moments of like either, either pure puzzle games where you're just like, okay, I've, I've explained every element of the puzzle and i've looped around a few times at this point i just need to go quiet and just stare at this thing until something clicks for me or there's the adventure game problem of like rub what on what exactly yeah <laughs> i haven't touched something to something like I, and I i'm playing primordia and there's a part where in order to progress you need to take a rag and you need to rub it up in sticky grease to make it a sticky rag and then give it to your floating robot friend to jam in the nostril of a robot so that it can't breathe through its nose so that its mouth opens. <laughs> yeah, because if it's not sticky... Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> There's so many <laughs> steps you have to go through there. I'm like... and, the, and Open I'm, the mouth. I'm, I'm like, the logical flow there is like... that. You gotta... It takes a while to trace back even what was going on there. <laughs> it, the, the secret of the Monkey Island ruined it for all of us, really. Because that game just uh, made it okay to be obtuse. Chicken pulley. But as as far as the hard for hard's sake, that actually is what killed Dauntless in the end for me. Um, because, so it's been, I guess, almost a month since the game like became publicly available. Uh, Buy-in, I guess. And the population dropped, Fortnite-style, because it's an expensive buy-in to an incomplete game with, you know, bad... Not not fully like flushed out mechanics, so it's not exactly you know uh, something that everybody's going to want to jump on. And so I started getting into the higher hunts, and it was just throwing me in solo because I couldn't find enough people for me to play through. But the game is balanced around playing with other people, and this is like you know ten fifteen hours in. So I was like, I could go back and like try and get you guys for it again because I'd kind of given up on that because it was like a weird disconnect. Um, and then I, I got that to that weird point. Just because like, it's not even worth it. You invited us to play uh, Dauntless, well, and then you were like, then you got salty on some level, but then you kept playing Dauntless, and it well, it got confusing. At that point, I was playing Dauntless out of an obligation. Um, it kind of like how Scrap Mechanic after a while kind of became an obligation, where it's like it's a fun game, but it's also like my best series right now, and I I kind of have to keep playing it, even though it's like not something I want to do. Um, I feel so blessed that every game that does really well on my channel has an ending. Yeah. Like, I can't I do... Ever... I can't just, like, new game plus The Witness. <laughs> yeah, like, every... I solved it. It's over. Every game that does well on my channel usually has no end. <laughs> uh, and that's a problem. Or it can be redone in some alternate way to make it more interesting. You know, Fallout, Scrap Mechanic. Uh... Yeah, for me, the biggest one thing, is... For me, the biggest one is just alternate runs of Dark Souls. Yeah, mm. but those are kind of fun because there's also kind of an ending and people like aren't going to just say like, okay, do another one next. After a while, people also <laughs> yeah. get sick of those. What were you saying so, a second ago, Colonel RPG? 
I, th- I think it's also a blessing. I mean, I understand the pain of, of, of the need that people get for just more and more. But if you can, especially fall, with Fall 4, uh, for you, uh, Wonder, like, you can always ref- c- come back to it later. If you, And if you enjoy the game, you can always just, just get a new spin. And I hate Bethesda so much. <laughs> <laughs> it is the shittiest company. And, like, everything they do is poison. <laughs> That one's horse armor. You can't yeah, say that. The freaking the new DLC thing. Like I I love the idea of Fallout, Skyrim, all of all of the Bethesda games are generally actually really cool ideas that I'd 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 love to play, but Bethesda, like the Pray for the Gods thing, the the stupid paid mods thing, all of that is just like I just want to stay away from that that genre, that series, that publisher as much as possible. You know, I'll play their kind of like the games that they publish but aren't making in-house just because. Um, yeah, but they, even I then, I feel, like, guilty about it. Because, like, I felt bad about playing Prey because because the, the fucking Prey for the Gods, like, but you can't have the word Prey in your game title and we're going to sue you even though we don't have the right, but we got the money and you don't, so ha 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 ha. Uh, you had to deal with a double whammy of that at one point because you were playing Prey and Persona 5 at the same time. They both have, like, yeah. this Ooh. background darkness that tinges upon what is otherwise a game of the year contender. Yeah, exactly. Like, Persona 5 is quite possibly one of the best JRPGs I've ever played. And, like, Atlas... The, the it's hilarious the, it's the part is... the second best-reviewed game of the year. Or third. Yeah. But second, if you don't count Mario Par- uh, Mario Kart 8's re-release as being legit. Yeah. Just the um, That doesn't count. Uh, I, I, and don't forget the, the whole not releasing... Not giving access to... Uh, Review, not giving review copies before release. Oh, yeah, but that's the new approach. Is like, no game can be hurt by negative reviews now because we'll just not give out review copies for any of our games. <laughs> they'll they'll think, get them on release, so they have to, like, I think they have to do those review in progresses and stuff like that. I hate, yeah. I hate those. I, but I that's think, part of the reason why, like, Shadow of War is so sketchy for me, all extra, because it's like they already have that, that, like, reputation for that, and then all the yeah. stuff leading up to it looks. Terrible that, too. A re- review in progress is always really bad too because often a lot of games give extra attention to the very beginning of a game, and uh, like was it like there's a Total War? I think it's Total War Shogun or some Total War game get, specifically became famous for being a game that starts off amazing, and most reviewers would stop within the margin of it the, of the amazing part and never realize how bad the game gets later on. Much like SimCity 2013 SimCity? did. Yeah. Well, that's what happened to ReCore. Uh, a lot of people actually kind of liked ReCore because the first couple hours of it were great, and then it turned into this awful grind wall with the least interesting boss ever. Yeah, as the final ending, yeah, and, like nobody knew have about to it. Try to be aware of how when these things happen. Try to look past your fanboy goggles for that particular company and look at how they are very explicitly manipulating things in ways that are anti-consumer, so they can make more money. Like that's that's like they're only hurting you. And it's worth looking at these things in that term. I think all things considered, uh, there's a lot of companies that do that. I, but, uh, I as much as uh, as much of a as as much of a bone as I have to pick with Bethesda uh, myself, uh, they're not the worst. But I remember having a talk about this um, on stream about Bethesda, and I gave 
something that actually I thought about later. I gave, a, I gave an example. I remember when Horse Armor that I just mentioned uh, came out for Oblivion. That was the first DLC they came out. I think it came out very close to release as well, like a month oh, or yeah. two. I don't harbor any ill will for Horse Armor. It's just funny. But like yeah, that was I, like the that was like so early in DLC. Although to be fair, like Halo Two came out like uh, two or three years earlier and had DLC on the original Xbox. Yeah, and those were substantial wacky. expansion content where like every map pack was well, like several maps for ten dollars as opposed to yeah, but that's horse armor. Yeah, like you, Diablo uh, the extra maps. Had the same thing. Honestly, the extra maps was a terrible idea just because it split, splits your player base. Like, you never want to do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, so they you have, have a, they actually had a clever way of handling that. So they would, uh, they would make one playlist, they would make separate playlists for the DLC as they came out. But then when a few months later the next DLC came out, the previous DLC became free in Halo 2. Ooh, so over time, every every map pack actually became free over time. The only the only people that had to pay for it were offline only people that had to buy it in disc form to play oh. with their friends locally, because the maps actually had disc releases back then. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but so they weird. they figured out DLC for video game for console games in two thousand four with Halo Two. <laughs> so that is the one weird part about the horse armor. I'm like, no, there's there actually are examples of DLC when this came out. The backlash for Horus Armor in particular, I think, was more in regards to how... Uh, well, it, it was, was unreasonably weird. priced, I think. That was the uh, main th- thing. It was like five, six bucks for cosmetic armor for your horse. It's th- like, th- really? I think it was two two bucks for, for the Horus Armor in particular. I might be wrong, though. It was but funny I, I watching remember... society be like, this will never take off. And then it took off like crazy, <laughs> the cosmetic the, DLC. <laughs> I think the headlines at the time were that... As weird as it as it sounds oh. right now, was that uh, Oblivion was yeah, becoming? Yeah, it was only two dollars and fifty cents. Oh, yeah, two and fifty. Um, as weird as weird as as it sounds right now, I think the main complaint that I remember hearing in the official forums and in news sites uh, was that Oblivion was becoming fr- uh, pay to win, as it were, because <laughs> the horse armor actually has an effect in game, and you if you didn't buy that, you had a worse horse. Meanwhile, and, as an I mean, Oblivion player, I was like, horses, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the horses just seemed like a nightmare. Almost every, video, almost every open world video game actively becomes less fun the moment you try to use a horse in it. You're like, oh, yeah. no, what's, no, there's controls, I don't want to. The problem it's not worth it. The problem with Oblivion is that the horse was actually slower than the player if the player was fully maxed out. <laughs> so yeah. That was like... Because <laughs> it had I, the Morrowind stats. I just hate yeah. mounts in general because they're a pain to control. You might have to like babysit them so they don't die. And like in Breath of the Wild, for example, everybody was like going bananas over there, like getting a horse and like the fastest horse and like Ganon's horse or the the Lord of the Forest. I never used or, a horse. Or, yeah, it, the game was so vertical. It's like, what's the point of this? Uh, the game about I had the same... climbing and gliding, and they're like, "Here's a horse. By the way, it can't teleport to you when you summon it." I'm like, oh, so yeah. it doesn't have, if it doesn't have the Witcher slash Dynasty Warriors powers, then and it's only a thing that you can only call when it's nearby. It's gonna get abandoned immediately every time. Yeah. Oh yeah, I had the same problem in um, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. It's like you can ride like the robots, and it's like no, you can only ride a couple of them, and they die almost instantly the moment you get in, into con- I combat because they try to help. That mechanic existed. 
Yeah, so I, I'd use it. What I what I would do is I would hop on one and get as many fast travel points as possible and then forget about it for the rest of the game. That's the thing. I wasn't sure what the use case was in Horizon because in every fight ever, you have an advantage if you start off in stealth, which means you don't want to be yeah. mounted. And if you're traveling around, there's you get fast travel points, so you probably already can travel faster by just sitting through a loading screen than trying to find a mount that you, that you can't even call because it's not yours and then bring it over and so on. It's one of those features it, where I didn't know why it was there. It probably was just somebody who had the idea and the boss yeah. was just, oh no, that has to be in the game because everybody's going to want that. And it might even have been marketed as well. It's like, the thing, it was like how yeah. in uh, when you, once you get past the first two Assassin's Creed's games, every Assassin's Creed game uh, has what essentially feels like that game's module. Like here's some weird additional oh. mechanic that kind of interacts with the core formula but is not at all mandatory and there's like a tutorial at one point but you can basically just ignore the mechanic the entire playthrough because of how optional it is yeah and then they often at times forget about that mechanic then in the next very next game like uh revelations like you can craft bombs now like it's like shovel knight plague of shadows or something like it's like mix this thing with that thing to make a different kind of bomb and i'm like i'm, I'm just gonna stab everybody like i did in the other four games exactly bombs why, are messy. I, why do i want to craft bombs <laughs> and then i just didn't craft bombs the entire playthrough and got 100 percent completion of some of the game look like, i don't know what that was for all right bye yeah it's uh yeah what, what i was what i was gonna say about the horse armor dlc though I remember it stuck to my mind what Bethesda said about like their justification for that DLC because they never actually apologized for it or anything because it was just no. their thing. No, that's not <laughs> what they do. What they said was that they were experimenting with the market, seeing what works and what doesn't. And I think that's oh, yeah. very telling of what they're what they're doing. They're just trying to maximize well, profit. Yeah, since yep. two thousand five. I. Have you ever actually looked at who's on the Bethesda board of directors? Well, Zenimax or Have Bethesda? Have you ever even heard about it? Uh, I think it's kind of the same thing. Uh, but yeah, Zenimax is be. like the parent-ish. Yeah. Um, it's like there are a couple of politicians in there. It's like business oh. moguls. They're like a bunch of people. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it was Donald Trump's son was one of them and stuff Robert like that. And I'm like, yeah. I, I don't want to get to put into politics and stuff but like when i heard that i was like oh that's scary because like i have never heard of him being a video game fan and like i i understand business has to be business on some level but like it always scares me when like i hear about ubisoft getting picked up of vivendi which doesn't really care about what games are made as long as profits happen yep and like vivendi did horrible things to blizzard and activision for a while and uh, they managed to crawl their They're way out of that it. hole. They're, yeah, they, yeah. Uh, but like, I I get scared when I hear about like cool developers being under control by people that probably don't give a shit about video games. It's like, but if you don't give a shit about video games, the like the quality of the market drops off in favor of quick bucks, and then that goes in bad places. That's, and how, that's how the we get... uh, ET landfill happens. Yeah. Yep, and like that actually caused video games in North America to stop being made for the mm -hmm. most part Crazy. for like a decade. Or you it's have like, or the, you have like, like some, the, the, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, 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 I'm sorry. I was just thinking about like, was it Thirty Eight Studios, which is like 
a football player gets a grant yeah. from the government to make a video game company, then the grants rescinded when it's not profitable enough and the whole thing goes under. Like once yeah. Once really weird third parties get involved, the whole thing stops being about making good games. Yeah, and the worst part is and like nobody Yeah, nobody can even pick up Amler really because Rhode Island angrily owns the product now. <laughs> I like that you're saying they specifically angrily own it. <laughs> well, yeah, like, uh, so I I lived in Massachusetts <laughs> like, at the time. Like, it was on the like news. Konami. <laughs> they're the really governor, upset about like, it, but they're not going to sell the it. The governor came out and condemned, like, people in relation to the product because... Oh, my God. Uh, the, the general consensus was they got robbed, uh, which the kind of did, the kind of didn't. They really should not have picked... A, that was a weird choice. He was a baseball player, not a football yeah. guy. I yeah, believe. I, that's I, the I, thing. I, I mixed it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I, knew, I knew the the studio was his number. Yeah, yeah. He what, that was almost an okay thing. Kingdoms of Amalur is actually like a half decent game. It just came out at a terrible time, and it was way too bloated for its own good. Because I actually rather enjoyed the combat and like the world. It's just like you know what was a great game, Dragon Age. But like, let's add some <laughs> action combat. And then just MMO side quests, because really we want to make an MMO, but we don't have the money for that. So let's make the normal game first, and then immediately dive into making an MMO, even though we probably don't have the budget for our, for it, even with like a, a Western action RPGs profits. It was See, dumb. Where were you going a second ago, Colonel? Uh, I was uh, I was reminding uh, I was remembering uh, reading online or somebody telling me about. I don't know what perception they had of anything, but that the crash of 19... Was it 83 or 93? Video think, game crash. I think it was 93. 1983. 83, okay, okay. It'd have I, I was, to be the oldies because by the time I was born, and that was like when the Super yeah. Nintendo was happening in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, that was that a That was really a video then. game yeah. crash. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. But I, 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 I've read online people that are not well i i'm i'm they don't think that that crash happened um and you just really need to look at some numbers i mean i i didn't understand their argument at all because you just need to look at the numbers only recently are we actually getting back to the money of that was being invested back then and it's crazy cuz we see how much money is invested in games these days um and back then it was i mean the arcades did have a bunch of um a bunch of money as well invested, not just video games, but the billions and billions got dropped down to less than one billion in investment in the space of two years because of the same stuff that happens in in in, in these days. But of course, it, because the first time around it was a bubble that popped hard. Yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, this uh, is going to go places. Let's put all our money in it, like short sightedly, and then it was like, oh no, we've hor we've made what will later be called a. Uh, Crap! What's the name of the you yeah, the you draw <laughs> company? Yeah, it's like the the, the wasn't it the oh, uh, THQ? Yeah, like THQ. essentially everyone in the eighties pulled the THQ at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, and the entire I'm, industry failed. I, except THQ I, kind of wasn't lucky; just they they weren't well, really skeevy, I guess. Yeah, they they gambled and lost it all. I'm just. <sighs> I don't know. I'm really glad that uh, Darksiders is being worked on again and Battle Chasers is getting made. Uh, did you guys... Have you guys ever played any of the Dark Darksiders games or no? 
I think I have both. Uh, yeah, that's so Dark Siders one and two, right? They were like the, the was like the war God of War death. Zelda mashup. Yeah, oh, no, I got I bored in the first one yeah. and just kind of stopped. I made. I, could see I think it. I reached a part where you run around on a horse in an arena at one point, and I oh yeah, there's like a big I, old sandworm. Over the course of that game, I felt like I just wasn't engaged in its combat at all, and I just kind of petered off and stopped. I, I personally loved it, but I think part of it is, like, as an artist, Darksiders has one of the best visual styles when they actually, like, tried. Uh, the problem is Darksiders 1 had a terrible setting, but really, like, kind of tighter design flow. And then Darksiders 2 had a much better setting, but they went Diablo with it and, like, added loot treadmills. And yeah. Like, um, you know, so the made... that formula didn't need at all, because the first game, no, it's, no, the, it the first game was clearly trying to be Zelda. Yeah, and the second game Zelda was like God what of War. If kind of, it, it it couldn't decide if it wanted to be Zelda or God of War, and I actually thought it was kind of compelling because I didn't, I never really liked Zelda combat that much. I still don't like it. No, uh, I tolerate I'm, it because I'm, it's okay. I guess we could talk about that actually. Is that I'm playing Ocarina of Time for the first time right now. Yeah. Ugh. Like, <laughs> Ugh, that's your reaction. <laughs> or mixed responses. Uh, Zelda yeah, I, combat would be great if it incorporated a couple more like Soulsy mechanics, like just a little bit here and there. Because I, I like I like the idea of the combat. It was like kind of the first Soulsy style, but the enemies just never felt Titan. Well, I don't know. You talk about it. I'll formulate my thoughts. What? Just the Zelda combat, basically. Yeah. There's a weirdness to it. So I haven't played any of the intermediate Zelda games at all. Uh, I played Breath of the Wild, which I actually think has interesting combat in some ways, mostly because of the sheer number of options you get to screw around yeah. with during fights. So like, it's really amusing to be like, oh, there's an enemy camp. I'm going to hang glide over them and drop bombs on them, then land in the middle of them with a plunging attack from an attack that does an AoE lightning spell or something. And like, you can do all these weird tricks along the way, and you can approach it how you want well, to, so much like I, you would I, in like Metal Gear Solid Five. I agree with you 100% on that. The only thing I didn't like about it is in like a, a direct uh, combat with somebody else, they always felt like they had way too much HP. And I got really bored of, like, loot spending two weapons on, like, a white moblin. I'm like, I like, I like yeah, souls because... I mostly just avoided major yeah. enemies most of the time until I, it was actually a boss. Oh, see, I was, I was very committed to trying, trying to max out all of my equipment. And, like, some of them involved fighting a bunch of those... What are the, what are the centaur guys called again? The Lynels. Yeah, which, which everyone I, got on me for because I was like, these are, these haven't been in a Zelda game before, have they? Apparently, they're from the first one. Uh, Apparently, they're from um, the first Zelda game ever. There was Lynels, but so for me, the Lynels were were kind of a neat neat thing. But after the first one, which is the weakest one, and I like burnt through most of my weapons on. It's like, no, if I want to fight any Lynel, I have to like farm up a bunch of weapons and food just to be able to fight this thing because it's just such a long long fight and i'm like just cut it down or make it drop more or something because like i don't want to farm to farm on an enemy that's no yeah. fun i just avoided uh, then, that because i knew it was going to be a dark place to go down basically yeah but for breath of the wild you can compare that to other games that have combat in them yeah but when i play ocarina of time Speaking specifically about the combat, I think it's honestly most fair to compare it to, like, Rareware games, like Banjo-Kazooie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not... Like, the actual combat itself... Like, I, 
I, I think the more I play this game, the more I still will support the argument that people often disagree with that. I, I do think Zelda actually is an RPG, at least in video game terms. Like, I'll often dispute the idea of whether or not RPGs are RPGs in video games. Because I'm like, you don't role play in these games. What what the hell? Uh, but if in the ter- in the umbrella of what we consider RPGs to be in video games and the agreed upon global definition... I still think games like Ocarina of Time are RPGs. They have all the same systems overall. But as far as gameplay goes, yeah, it is, especially the combat and especially against bosses or even like the, even regular enemies, it often feels more like Banjo-Kazooie than anything else. Like it's a very simplistic combat system and often like time a very specific thing will be like the weakness of each enemy, like some sort of, like I do the butt pound and they fall over, but except it's like I throw the Deku nut. And the boss fights are always like, here's the gimmick and you have to beat the gimmick. Like, there's a fight where uh, Ganon is coming out of a bunch of different uh, paintings that are all around a room. That fight scared the shit out of me. That's actually what killed Ocarina of Time for me as a kid, because <laughs> I couldn't deal with him coming from the mirrors, because Ganon already was a scary concept for, you know, 11-year-old me. <laughs> and weird so, long like, face. Add, yeah, add multiple Ganons on a horse coming from nowhere. I, like, handed the controller to my brother, and I'm like, you do it. I'm leaving the room. Yeah, when when I look at the fight of Ganon coming out of two mirrors at once, or two pa- paintings at once, and one of them's the fake one, one of them's the real one, and you got to hit him before he does the lightning attack, and you do that three times, and that all that stuff that's going on there, that the moment I hit that, especially, I was like, yeah, this isn't like Dark Souls or Dark Siders or God of War or any combat oriented game. This is like a Gruntilda fight. Like, you walk around and press the button at the right time to defeat its weak point, and then you move on, basically. And it's like, it's so... I find myself wanting to recontextualize the game because of that. Like, not... uh, Like, the combat level... All the combat decisions are definitely more Nintendo 64 platformer-oriented as opposed to, like, guy with sword-oriented. Like, the way you assume a game will be like when you're playing with the sword. And I don't have an issue with that because I love the those kinds of games back then too. But it's definitely didn't, a a shock moment when you realize that's what the game is. Um, I wish. Didn't, what a, oh, sorry, didn't uh, the original Zelda team also was wasn't they weren't they the Mario team as well? Probably. Uh, uh, I, I don't I know. So I don't know how big the I team mean, was at Nintendo in in sixty four era to begin with. No, oh, no, no. I'm talking about the the original Mario. I, because you, okay, yeah, I understand. I misunderstood what you're saying. Sorry, uh, because I was I was still trying to process the what you say, and I agree with you that um, that has a lot of the trappings of what makes an RPG, especially on the Japanese side of things. Oh yeah, uh, computer RPG, JRPGs, RPG. which are games where you don't role play anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I I definitely agree with you on on when you call into question whether computer RPGs can be role playing games. Um, but I was tra- trying to process that, but uh, because I've heard that, but uh, for some reason I was thinking, but weren't they the same? And I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to find online if they are the same uh, team as the Mario one. But I can't. I can't figure that one out. I know that Miyamoto's cited as the origin for Mario and Pikmin and uh, Zelda. Like, there's always the story about like what real life experience inspired the entire series, basically. Yeah. Yeah, gardening or like going around in caves and exploring as a kid and wanted to rec- replicate that as a at, at, in a video game experience. Oh yeah, it's Miyamoto the who created both the series. So yeah, yeah that's probably where I am thinking. He's of. so same lead designer at least at that point. I think uh, yeah. in Ocarina, it's interesting. I like 
on some level, I like that they essentially have merged the two concepts back then. Because, uh, like, they've essentially... Like, it's full of side quests the way that you expect RPGs to be full of side quests. But those side quests are more akin to the weird random quirk stuff that shows up in, like, a Mario 64 or a Banjo-Kazooie where a weird interaction with a snowman will result in you getting like that level star or whatever. But in this case, it'd be like a heart container and stuff like that. And that'll be part of the RPG progression as opposed to level progression. Yeah. And it's like, that's basically what they did is they took that way that platformers would handle like weird interactions that lead to you getting like rupee. And I mean, back what would lead to you getting like the progression thing, like a jiggy. And they'd replace that with it being optional things that you can do to get, the things that progress Link so that he can become more powerful for the mandatory content, which is the dungeons. Uh, main complaints I have about the game, which I don't really, I really don't have that much to complain about. It's mostly a little bit of shock of realizing what it is to some extent. But the main complaints I have is Z targeting is ass. Like Z targeting is genuinely garbage. Uh, and uh, there's moments where you uh, there's platforming moments in the game. And every now and then you'll get a little bit frustrated with the fact that you can't jump in that game. Because yeah. in Ocarina of Time you run at ledges and he auto jumps. And so that'd be perfect if the game always had gaps that are the same width apart so you will always make the jump. But like I got to the beginning of the forest temple and there's two trees. There's You have to jump from tree branch to tree branch to get to a key that's required to beat that dungeon. And if you just jump from branch to branch, you'll jump. You'll either undershoot or overshoot the branch over and over again. So you have to get a really specific angle. And it really all boils down to like the whole reason you're having that problem is because you can't just press a jump button and actually control your jump arc. So you have to like yep. figure out. You have to essentially like put out a measuring stick of like what what angle do I have to be to make the jump exactly five feet? Because that's how far we'll jump no matter what. <laughs> and it's very frustrating. And it doesn't come up too much thankfully. But Z targeting is incredibly frustrating. When you're used to games where you can just face an enemy and just press it, you you like turn the camera towards an enemy or whatever and just click a stick and it just works. Z targeting in Ocarina of Time specifically, you have to just wait for Navi to just decide to float by a particular enemy and then press the, the target button and then it'll make you target that enemy. And oh, I forgot if she about that. Yeah, Navi determines whether or not you can Z target people. And Ooh. the way that what controls that is really not super certain and i think that if you're used to the game it's much like the issue with sonic mania and people freaking out about me not knowing certain things like if you're if you play this as a child obsessively you probably have like a muscle memory for how exactly to yes. like coax uh all of navi's behaviors but as somebody that's just playing it for the first time now i'm like what is wrong with you navi <laughs> and also why does navi determine who i can see target onto because i've played lock on targeting games for 10 years now so i'm like what so it's it's the that we've it's a problem that's been fixed in the meantime. So going back to when it wasn't fixed yet is like, what's what, how is it's interesting that someone thought this was a good idea at some point. <laughs> it's not a game breaking giant problem, but there's definitely moments of like, just lock on, just lock, just, just no, just lock. No, I'm trying to fight the lizard. <laughs> no. And you're like, you're trying to fight the Lizzo folks and you're pressing the Z target button and it's just making the camera center behind link instead of locking onto the enemy. Oh. You're like, no, I'm trying to fight. I, him. I some, had the problem with, bongo bongo because I'd, I'd be trying to like shoot him and then suddenly navi would like whiz across the screen to target somebody else and be like no i can't yeah. i have to like at some point if you're fighting one dude one-on-one -on -one, the game might as well just enter battle 
camera now and just do it <laughs> like some games actually did back then or even do recently like some games are like you're in combat now here's the ca- here's the combat camera but zelda asks you to initiate combat by actively pressing the z target button on an enemy but then also won't give that the priority it should have when you're clearly in combat and pressing the z target button it thinks that the top priority should be centering behind you and like that's also a problem that dark souls still has but way yeah. less <laughs> Like yeah, Dark Souls, it's easier to uh, to go around it, I guess. Yeah, if an enemy is right next to you in Dark Souls, you're not gonna like somehow fail to lock onto them. But they're like, I'm playing Dark Souls one with Andrew right now, and he's getting <laughs> he's tearing his hair out because yes, you'll have boss <laughs> fights where the the boss chamber is bigger than the lock on range, and so he's living the experience that a lot of us Dark Souls players have just learned to work around over time, which is when the enemy breaks your lock on range, and then you have to deal with like them approaching you from the distance but every time you click but you're trying to kind of run away from them but every time you click the stick it's camera it's locking the camera behind you instead of going to the boss because for some reason you can't lock onto that range which yep, it's, it's so one of those problems annoying. that silently went away like when you get to Did dark souls 3 and bloodborne there's like giant arenas where it auto locks and like oh, that's good like was it you remember dark Souls? like you remember uh dark eater meteor wander yeah like, that's one of the biggest boss arenas ever made in a dark souls game and you'll note, you, like in the background, you probably didn't even notice it because it was just intuitive. But you would hit lock on from like hundreds of feet away, and it would work, which doesn't, which isn't true for the rest of the game, because they specifically they started to actually change mechanics of the game for boss fights, and it was it was really smooth and intuitive and smart. The camera would yeah. pan away from your character to a further distance so you can see the boss better, and the lock on range would like multiply. Unfortunately, they never oh, yeah. patched that into Dark Souls One. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they never that. did. No, it just makes yeah, the ONS though, fight worse. <laughs> though, yeah, the Dark Souls one was definitively like easier now that I've done all of them. Oh yeah, uh, I think so like, as well. When when Bird and I did, I mean, effectively, I did. I started with one, but I only I never finished it. I beat two on my own, but never the DLC. Played two with Bird, uh, and then three with everybody, and then we went back to play one. Uh, just burned myself, and we just rolled it, save for, like, a couple of weird bits and, like, problems. And just, like, the differences between all of them. But going back to one, apart from the technical problems, that game is actually rather easy compared oh, yeah. like compared to everything else. It's a game known for being bro- brutally difficult that, in, in hindsight, after playing all five games, almost becomes quaint. Yes. <laughs> it was relaxing. Except for the uh, PvP inba- invaders, because they suck... More there than anywhere had else. A lot because, of time to get better at sucking. <laughs> yeah, like we we had we had just it's gotten been six inside, years, motherfucker. We just we had finally got into Castle Lordran or whatever it was, and you well, know that well, room well, with the bonfire it. with uh, Solaire. Uh, yeah. And he's like just sitting there waiting for you. You can get invaded while sitting at the bonfire right there, and apparently that place has like shitty co-op things. So like. Bird was almost never able to connect to me. We just had some guy invading us over and over and over again to the point where I just turned on invincibility and said, fuck it. I just want to beat Ornstein and Smo and get out of here because this place sucks to begin with. Um, And I just, it was not pleasant. Whereas like two, we got invaded a couple of times. It was like, okay, this is fine. Yeah. I, I, I played a Sorry. I was just saying it's probably about time to close up. Do you have any last oh, thing yeah. you want to get in, Colonel RPG, before we close it off? Uh yeah yeah I just wanted to um I played a little bit say a, a little bit about Dark Souls too I played a little bit of it uh probably until the first boss it was about that 
and it's it's noticeably harder. I do have the scholar of the dark sin or something Oof. like that. So that <laughs> might have been the reason. <laughs> I have both yeah. versions though. Scholar of the I, dark sin is noticeably person. harder. Okay, like okay. noticeably harder, especially in the early game when you're going to feel it the most. Uh, it was essentially meant to be like uh, you. You can almost think of Scholar of the First Sin as like being like Master Quest for Dark Souls mm. Two. Like it is a remix of the game fundamentally. Like the level, the entire level design change is identical. Like the layouts are the same, but they, but they swap out any layouts massively. Spots. Yeah, yeah. So that's the reason then. Okay. Yeah. Like, to the point where, like, I would recommend anyone, if they have access to it, to play Dark Souls 2 vanilla. And then if you still like Dark Souls 2 and want and like the idea of a remixed version, then you have a lot of options. Because Dark Souls 2 New Game Plus remixes the enemies. Dark Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin remix, remixes the enemies. And Scholar of the First Sin New Game Plus remixes the enemies again. So there are actually four, four different enemy layouts <laughs> you can play through for that game. Which is not true for any other Dark Souls game. <laughs> I think the problem is Dark Souls 2 regular is no longer available, period. I don't on think Steam? you can get it anywhere. No, no, I think it is. I bought it, is it, at least. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I forgot. I think, I think you no, can still the, get it. It's just it's, it's, it's just that uh, they they offer like an the upgrade to the DX11. Well, actually, uh, apparently what it is is Dark Souls 2 never goes on sale. Scholar yeah. of the First yep. Sin will go down to like 10, 20 oh, yeah, bucks. It's it's Dark Souls 2 is always there. 40. Yeah. And even even if oh. it wasn't for that, you could get Dark Souls two for Xbox three hundred and sixty and PS three because Scholar never came out on those. Yeah, but I think the other problem is Scholar of the First Sin includes all the DLC, whereas Dark Souls two you still have to buy the thirty bucks season pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the thing. Yeah. I think, I th but I think Dark Souls two, the original one, did go on sale this summer because that's when I bought it. I think I bought the two, the Scholar of the First Sin and Dark Souls two as well. But I don't know. It's just if you look for Dark Souls two, you get the scholar of the first scene first, and this is what uh, what Steam pushes, I think. Yeah, I think. it's what they push. They 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 kind of treat it like the definitive thing. I think it's just they have to logistically because it's the new one. They have to act like it's the important one. But boy, oh boy, is it not a recommended way to first experience that game? No, it is hard. It's essentially with challenge mode turned on, except it's the only. There's no setting. It's just what the game is. It's a weird choice, but if you were somebody who actually played Dark Souls 2 and liked it, then having a remix version was a welcome addition. But as an outsider experience, it's so confusing and weird. Well, I'm looking forward to it, for sure. They actually made it more confusing by making... They put out a product called Dark Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin on PS3 and 360. That was just a Game of the Year edition of Dark Souls 2. So it was the same... <laughs> The, so what Name. it had is it was it was the normal Dark Souls 2 with all of its DLC bundled together, but called Scholar of the First Sin on the box, but it didn't have the new enemy layout. So people would look it up, people playing that version, the 360 PS3 version, would look up my playthrough of Scholar of the First Sin and then complain about how it's different. And I'm like, that's because they, that's because you're, that's because the name on your box is kind of a lie. <laughs> yeah, it's just a game of... <laughs> the weird, it's, it's the weirdest thing. All right, so I think we're going to close it out here. Thanks for coming, everybody. This is uh, Save the Universe podcast, episode 40. If you want to find Colonel RPG, you can search Colonel RPG on YouTube. Uh, that's the military ranking, not like popcorn or anything. Uh, you can send your <laughs> questions to foreignnerdsquestions at gmail.com. We didn't answer any this time or last time, really, because mostly because uh, Bird's not here. And, some, and you guys ask a lot of questions to either all of us or even specifically to Bird. So... 
we wait for when everyone's around and then hopefully remember when everyone's around. <laughs> uh, yes. Thanks for watching like always, guys, and I'll see you next time.